following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. And good Sunday afternoon to y'all. This is Monica and uh, my tech geek, Victor. And hmm. we're here to bring you another episode of Arts or Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday. And I call it a Sunday because I kind of mix things up and then I put a special program at the end that that I pick that doesn't have anything to do with what <laughs> I'm already showing. Uh, but anyway, I hope you've got uh, hope you like what we've got going for you this afternoon i've got some game shows and i've got a kids show and um um oh and by the way um my guru over here told me that someone had written in and requested the shadow so next week i'll put him in the pile your guru or the shadow <laughs> oh well <laughs> How, how about both? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I'll put the shadow in there. And um, y'all be sure. And if you want any requests at all, please send them to um, Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? At, I started to say at victor.com. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? At gmail.com. And um, or you can write to me di directly at coffee gal 62. That's one word. C-O-F-F-E-E-G-A-L 62 at gmail.com. On Twitter, I'm Moni 60. That's M-O-N-N-I 60. And uh, Twitter is um, on uh, Victor is at blind who's on Twitter. That's blind W H O S E. And then we're also on Facebook. Um, the page. The page, yeah. The page. And whose blind life is it anyway? So, uh, you know, like us or comment or, but mainly we hope you'll subscribe and, um, have fun with us so uh anyway i guess now it's time to get oh well, yeah and if you don't like any of those options we're on every podcast known to man <laughs> yeah known to man you know so you can uh tell alexa to play whose blind life as is it anyway and she'll play and play and play and play till jesus comes <laughs> or until she runs out of podcasts, whichever comes first. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think she'll ever run out of them. <laughs> Not as busy as you stay. Well, you think uh, so. But anyway, um, the first thing we're going to show you is, uh, or we're going to play for you, is a game show, um, and it's called "It Pays to Be Ignorant." <laughs> so I hope you have fun with with this. And here we go. 
marriage like taking a bath. Because after you get used to it, it's not so hot. Correct. Pay that man $8. <laughs> what is an old maid? A yes woman who never got a chance to talk. Correct. Pay that man $9 because... It pays to be ignorant. A zany half hour with those masters of insanity, Harry McNaughton, George Shelton, the nail-up girl Lula McConnell, and featuring Doc Novick's orchestra. But now, here's the man who proves it pays to be ignorant, Tom Howard. Well, here we are again with that quiz program only for people in their second childhood. We have a board of experts who think Yale College is where they make locks. First, we have the celebrated author, Mr. Harry McNaughton, who has just written a book entitled Seven New and Exciting Ways to Eat Garlic or How to Become Strong. But here he is, Mr. Harry McNaughton. I have a poem, Mr. Howard. I imagine. A farmer had a cow he called Zephyr. She was really a beautiful heifer. But when he got near, the cow kicked off his ear. <laughs> and now the poor farmer's much deafer. If anyone tells you you can trust a cow, it's a bum steer. Aye, a bum steer. Very good, Miss McNaughton. Next, we have a woman who is so fat it takes her two hours to dress because she has to slow down for the curves. A woman, a woman whose family has no background, but she has plenty. Here she is, the girdle gravel, or the girdy, or the gravel girdy of the Floral Park, Miss Lula McConnell. My yes. bridge work is sure slipping tonight. <laughs> you know, Mr. Howard, I'm going to I'm going to the movies tomorrow night. You are? Yeah, and I've got to get there early. Uh-huh. I'm so thrilled. What's so thrilling about going to the movies? Well, they got a sign outside. Yes. Yeah. It says, servicemen, 25 cents. Yes. Yeah. And I want to get there before they're all gone. I see. <laughs> Okay, next we have a man who the day he was born, the doctor said to his father, congratulations, I think it's a baby. A man, a man, a man, a man who has been up the river so many times, his friends call him showboat, here he is, Mr. George Shelton. Say, you know, I got a brother-in-law up the river right now in jail. Uh-huh. And he don't like it. Isn't that too bad? He doesn't like it. Oh, they put him in a cell that leaks. It's full of water. The cell is full of water? Well, he wants me to come up and bail him out. Bail him out. Right? <laughs> well, there's the experts, folks. There's the experts. Any resemblance between them and human beings is purely accidental. Here is the first question. Let's try hard and answer it. It's a little tricky, this question, so be careful. Yes. I will read a poem to you. In the poem, there's hidden the name of a very popular city. A poem. A poem. See if you can tell me the name of the city. Here is the poem. There is a lady, poor as a mouse, has a sign outside her house. Washing done here every day is what the sign has got to say. Now, what's the name of the city? What city? The city I mentioned in the poem. I didn't hear you mention any city. <laughs> Mr. McNaughton, the name of the city is sort of hidden in the poem. Oh, how can you hide a city in a poem? Uh, That's so silly. I mean... Mr. McNaughton, were you ever kicked in the head by a jackass? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Messy, isn't it? Messy. I mean. <laughs> I'll, start, I'll start all over again. Now listen to the poem. Yes. There is a lady poor as a mouse. What's the lady's name, Mr. Howard? Uh, you're a moron. Oh, what an odd name. What an odd <laughs> Well, you listen to the poem. There is a lady poor as a mouse. Has a sign outside the house washing done here every day. 
is what the sign has got to say. Now, what city did I mention? Is it a large city, Mr. Hart? Uh, all right, it's a large city. And you say the lady is poor. Poor as a church mouse. Church mouse? Oh, that's pretty poor. Yeah, Church yeah. mouse are always poor. Yeah, they've been hit pretty hard. Yeah, but there's yeah. a price. You know, I, I, I wonder what makes church mice so poor. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess because nobody ever thinks of bringing a piece of cheese to church with them. Yeah, that's logical. Well, I don't think it would hurt a person when they're going to church to take a piece of cheese and slip it to the mice. No, that wouldn't hurt them. Do no. you, Mr. Shelton? No, I do not. In fact, I, sh- I think you should always take a piece piece of cheese with you when you go out. I yeah. a piece. So you'll never know when you'll meet a rat. Yeah. <laughs> How do you do, Mr. Sheldon? Will you please get back to the question? What city is mentioned in the poem? There is a lady, poor as a mouse, has a sign outside the house. Washing done here every day. The lady does washing, I take it. Yes, yes, yes. Washing done. Now, what city is that? At least the lady is clean, isn't she? Uh, clean. <laughs> well, that's right. No matter how poor you are, you can always be clean. Ain't this That's awful. what I always say. Must get awfully tiresome, you know, saying that all the time. Imagine always saying, no matter how poor you are, you can always be clean. Yeah, no matter how poor you are, you can always be clean. No matter how poor... Oh, you cut it out, please. Now, you know, I, I'm, getting, I'm getting tired already. You are. You should be. Now, yeah, suppose Patrick Henry stood up in Congress and said, no matter how poor you are, you can always be clean. Oh, but Patrick Henry didn't say that. How do you know he didn't say it? She was sitting in the gallery. <laughs> I was not. I was bowling that night. You were All right. Let's on here. Look, can we please answer the question? Yeah, what was the question, Mr. Hart? No matter how poor you are, you can always be... Wait a minute. It's about a city. I'll try once more. Lady pours a mouse does washing. Washing done. Now, Mr. Sheldon, what city does that suggest to you? Now, concentrate. Yeah, I'll concentrate. Now, let me see. Lady poor as a mouse. You know, I don't seem to be able to fit the mouse in there. Never mind the mouse. Wait, I got it. I got it. Good. St. Louis. St. Louis? Sure, St. Louis, Missouri. They are For a change, let's hear from our contestants. We've invited two members of the studio audience up here on the stage. They can ask the experts a question. If they get an intelligent answer, we give them four pre-war white sidewall tires. If they don't, if they don't, we give them two discarded soda straws. Who have we first, Mr. Roberts? First tonight, Mr. Howard, we have Staff Sergeant Martin Goldberg of the United States Army Air Corps. <laughs> This certainly is a pleasure, Martin Goldberg. We are very glad to have you with us. Thank you for coming up. How do you feel? Feel fine. Well, you certainly do look like... You have quite a lot of decorations there, young fella, haven't you? Yes. Uh, what is that? What are they? Is that the oak leaf cluster? Three of them, isn't it? Distinguished Flying Cross and ML with three oak leaf clusters. Oh, the Distinguished Flying Cross. Oh, yes. That is very, very nice. Yes, sir, son. It looks to me like you've been around. With all those things. Remind me to show you my elk's tooth sometime. We are... We are very glad. Would you mind telling us just a little about yourself? Where's your hometown, would you care to tell us? Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York! I used to work in that town. Ah, stop, will you please? Yeah, I was. I was a sergeant in the dentist's office. Uh-huh. You, were, you were a sergeant in the dentist's office? I used to drill teeth. Ah, oh, <laughs> 
Well, I say, uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't that kind of boring? That was kind of boring. Never mind, Mr. McClure. Sort of a mouth-to-mouth existence. Look, please, gentlemen, we have a guest standing here. I say, Sergeant, you know, uh, Sergeant Gilberg, I was in the last war, yes. Well, do I remember one night we gave a party for our colonel, Colonel Berry. Colonel Berry. I was collecting tickets for the door when a lady and her daughter arrived, and I said, sorry, madam, but you can't get in without a ticket. Yeah, what'd she say? She said, young man, we are the Berries. Well, I said, I don't care if you're the cat's pajamas. You can't get in without a ticket. I see. I explained. Nice couple. He was right. Orders is orders. Uh, Pay no attention to Martin Goldberg. They're just getting near their feeding time. What did you do? uh, What did you do before you entered the service? Just got out of high school. Oh, out of high school. Isn't that fine? Well, you certainly have gone a long way. And I'm sure we're all proud of you, and they're all proud of you in Brooklyn. We're very happy to have you with us. Yeah, what's your first name, honey? Martin. 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 Oh, isn't that a nice name? Yes. Oh, it's a pretty name. Okay. Ain't he cute? He's a nice boy. Oh, he's as cute as... Oh, he's as... Oh, oh. Uh, oh. Never mind. Will you cut it out? He's not Frank Sinatra. Cut it out, will you? Yeah, well, well, you can just call me Vanishing Cream. Vanishing Cream. I'm so soft. Soothing. Yeah. And you're good till the last chin. <laughs> Pick out a question for us, Martin, please. Just any question you get a hold of, and would you be kind enough to read the question right into the microphone, if you will? What season of the year follows summer? Thank you. That's very good. Did you hear the question, gentlemen? There are four seasons, spring, summer, autumn, and winter. Now, what season follows summer? Uh, That's a trick question, and I'm not going to fall for it. (laughs) Well... You said you you practically answered the question. He did? Yeah. What did you say, Mr. Chelton? I said it was a trick question and I wasn't going to go for it. You didn't say go for it. Mr. Howard, what is a gopher? Oh. You... <laughs> you know, you know, I'm a gopher. You're a gopher? Every girl I see, I go for. Ah. <laughs> now it's time for I don't get it. You don't get it. <laughs> Mr. McCartan, please. Why don't you bury yourself in a good book? Or better still, just bury yourself. Can anyone tell me about the season? Well, there's salt, vinegar, Never and mind, Lord, never mind. What comes after summer? You know, Mr. Howard, I always hate to see the summer go, you know. So do I. I had a wonderful time this summer. Stopped at the nicest hotel up in the mountains. Had a lovely view from the window, you know. One morning I woke up, it was gone. What happened? She moved. She moved. <laughs> there was a nice hotel where I was this summer, too. Oh, did you have a nice room? No, I lived in the bar. In the bar of the hotel. Couldn't you get a room? Not with a bar in it. Not oh. with a bar. <laughs> Look, the question's not about hotels, it's about seasons. Uh, you're not getting tired, are you, Martin? We'll be with you in a minute here. Well, if he is, he can come over here and sit inside of me. Sit beside you me. come over here, Martin? Never mind, leave him alone. Martin, if you want to wait till after the program's over, I know, I know a cute little place called the Open Door. Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Connell, you couldn't get through an open door. <laughs> let's get on here. The question, let's get back to the question, gentlemen. Look, will you please answer it and answer it quickly? What season comes after summer? 
What season? Let me put it another way. Yeah. What season comes before winter? How do you like that? Well, wait, wait, what are you doing? Changing the question? I'm not changing the question. I mean, we, we can't answer the question, you know, if you keep changing them well, all the, the time. Same an- the same answer will do for both questions. I didn't know we had two questions. There is not two questions. I just phrased the question differently. What was the first question? It was about a woman who took the mouse to church with her. It was not. You know, the last time I went to church, I was insulted. You were insulted in church? Yeah, as soon as I came in, the usher said to me, Pew. Yeah. <laughs> with the next question. Here it is. Now, pay attention. Yes. I will sing a few bars of a song. You were to tell me what kind of hair the girl has that is mentioned in the song. Professor Novick, will you give me an arpeggio? Uh, give me an aspen. Never mind. <laughs> Katie walks with a strawberry blonde and the band played on 
You know, Mr. Howard's singing is out of this world. I wish he was out with us. With a voice like that, he ought to go places. know that face. My wife gave it to me this morning. He married the girl with the strawberry curl and the man played on. Splendid. Bravo. Splendid. Thank you. Thank you, music lovers. You know, I could listen to Mr. Howard singing until the cows come home. You could listen to me sing till the cows come home. Yes, when the cows come home, I'd rather listen to them. Okay, okay. Besides, you get milk besides. You get milk besides. That's just utter nonsense. Okay, let's get on. Mr. Oh. Howard. Yeah. Do you know all of me? Why not take all of me? Miss McCall, I'd need a ten-ton truck to take all of you. <laughs> now, look, what kind of hair did the girl have in the song? The girl that waltzed with Casey. Was that the Casey that went to the back and struck out? Mm-hmm. He must have played with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah, oh, wait a minute. You know, my father was a baseball player. Your father was a baseball player, yes, and you were his first era. Let's get on. I went to a baseball game last week for the first time. Yeah, yeah. how'd you like it? Oh, it was too noisy. Yeah? Yeah, I stood up to see where the ball went, and some guy in the back hollered, Down in front! Sit down in front! Yeah, what'd you say? I told him I didn't bend that way. You didn't bend? Oh, please. Yes, we have, Mr. Howard, and now I should like to introduce to you storekeeper third class Mary Howie of the Wave. Well, well, how do you do? Uh, good evening, Miss Howie. How do you feel this evening? Oh, just wonderful. Well, you certainly do look delicious, I will say that. But where is your hometown, would you care to tell us? Elizabeth, New Jersey. Elizabeth, New Jersey. Well, what do you 
you know about Home from home now. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Well, I have a girl that lives over there. Oh, you do? This has been my girl, a nice girl, but she don't seem to like me anymore. She does? No. She I does. wonder how I could get her to make me make her love me. How you could get her to make her love yeah, me? Well, it's very easy, Mr. Sheldon, old boy. Just call on me, you know. Yeah? Or rather, and I'll tell you what to do, do you see? Yeah, what do you do? You, uh, you call on her with some flowers, a box of candy, yeah. and then you go in the parlor and yeah. sit... On the divan, you see, and then yeah. you put out the lights. Yeah, then what? Then you send for me. Let's get on here. Uh, we're very glad to have you with you. Pay no attention. What did you do before you entered the service, Miss? I was a contaminator operator. You were a what? Contaminator operator. Yeah? Yes. That's yes. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that must be nice work. Uh, what is the duties of a uh, one of those operators? Uh, a barometer? No, no, don't you try it. I can't say it. <laughs> well, what, what do you do? What do you, uh, some kind of a, an intricate machine or something? Oh, yes, it's very intricate. It is? It does all the work for you. It's... Oh, does it work yes, for you? It does. Has it got brains? I suppose it does. I wish you'd send it over here from McNaughton or Sheldon there. <laughs> Well, we're very, very glad to have you with us. Uh, uh, would you kindly do us a favor and reach into the dunscap there and pick out a question for us, please? Really Any well. question you get a hold of. Oh, that's Howard. Don't she look sweet in her uniform? Yes, yeah, she, she does. Smart? She does. Oh, look yes, very... indeed. She sure looks smart. Yes. Yeah, you does. know, I try to look smart and neat. Yeah. But I have dishpan hands. You have. You have a dishpan face, too. <laughs> Now, if you will help us out by reading the question there in the microphone, we'll be very, very happy. Who was Queen of England during the Victoria era? Oh, that's very good. Who was Queen of England during the Victorian era? Did you hear that? I'm afraid we're going to have a lot of trouble with that baby. <laughs> Mr. McNaughton, you should know that question. Oh, indeed I do. I know the question very well, Mr. Howard. Yes? I'm afraid I don't know the answer. I, <laughs> I was afraid of that. Uh, Miss McConnell, uh, do you know who was Queen of England during the Victorian era? No, no. That was before my time. I see. <laughs> Miss McConnell, there wasn't any time before your time. <laughs> Say, Mr. Howard, who was king at that time? What do you mean, who was king? Who was king of England? King of the... Yeah. You mean Victoria's husband. He, he was not king. He no. was uh, Prince Consort. I was at a concert last oh, night. Ah, cut it out. <laughs> Yeah, really. What, what did they play? Bach. They played Bach at the concert. Bach. I've never played that. I like gin rummy. Yeah, I so do I, but it's hard to get gin. It's hard to get gin. <laughs> Gentlemen, will, you, will you please concentrate on the question that's about music? About music. I'm talking about the Victorian era. It lasted from 1837, I believe, to 1901. That was around the gay 90s, wasn't it? That's right. That was about around the time of the gay night. You know, those were the good old days when women wore skirts that trailed in the ground. Yeah. And we used to trail the skirts. And you used to... <laughs> Very cute, Mr. Shelton. I remember those days. Yeah. I used to wear a bustle. Yeah. Don't you think it's about time you took it off? <laughs> ah, those good old days, you know, when Big Ben was a watch. When Big Ben was yeah. a watch. You remember those, too, Way do you, back. Mr. McDonald? Yeah. All right. Is there any chance of getting back to the question again? Yes, Joe? go right ahead. Go right do you ahead. remember the question? Something about, uh, uh, yeah, about Big Ben? Oh, please, <laughs> cut it out. Who was queen during the Victorian era? The Victorian era. Now, that ought to be quite simple if you concentrate. She was queen of England. Queen of England. Very popular and very a very well-liked queen. Uh -huh. Queen of England. Was there I... any other thing, any other little hint you could give me? Well, I couldn't. 
A little hint I could give you. I could tell you, Mr. Sheldon, that the Victoria Hotel was named after. Oh, I got it. I got it. Good. Helen Hayes. Helen Hayes. <laughs> to thank you, Mary Holly, for being with us. It was very sweet of you to come up here, and may I wish you a lot of luck wherever you may be. Just speak the English language fluidly, doesn't he? Huh? Fluidly, mm. yeah. No, I'm going to ask him for his phonograph right after the broadcast. For his phonograph. Because he speaks the English language fluidly. Mm. You eat fluidly, too, don't you? No, not necessarily. Come I'm on a diet. And... I see. Come over and water my lawn. You're on a diet? Yeah. I see. I'm going to diet pink, I think. Uh-huh. Let's get on here. And let me correct you, uh, Mr. Sheldon. You don't mean phonograph. No? You mean his autograph. Oh, no, no, Mr. Howard. I beg to differ, old man. Oh. An autograph is something the Western Union sends you. I see. You're a way off, Mr. McNaughton. Really? That's telegraph. No, the Western Union sends you a paragraph. Ten words. Ten words. I see. Let me inform you a paragraph is just a subdivision in writing. Oh, no. Let me inform you, Mr. Howard. You're wrong. A paragraph is an animal with a long neck. An animal with a long neck? An animal with a long neck? Wait a minute, that's giraffe. An odd-looking creature with shapeless legs, shapeless body, and the only sound it can make is a stupid croak. Now we're back to Miss McConnell again.
This is the Armed Forces Radio Service. That would never end. <laughs> I didn't uh, realize they played so much music on the Armed Forces radio service. Uh, yeah, they do sometimes. And uh, but anyway, I kind of wait. I, wait, I think you should know. Um, the answer to the first question was Washington. Yes. <laughs> the answer to the second question was, of course, fall. Yes. And the third question was strawberry, strawberry blonde. blonde. That's right. And the fourth question was naturally Queen Victoria. Victoria, yeah. <laughs> so it, you and I were both. I guess we pass. I guess we pass. We are us. not ignorant. We're, no, that's right. <laughs> but you know, I, I those that little show was silly. But sometimes sounds, when I'm when it, I'm it feeling, sounded like vaudevillian. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much what it is, and I lo I love vaudeville, and, and uh, but yeah, I know you always tell me I'm old, and uh, no, I love vaudeville too. Uh, but uh, <laughs> or you tell me I'm getting old, one of the two, uh, uh, either or. <laughs> but you know, when I'm when I'm not feeling good, when I'm down, kind of got the blues, which hardly ever happens to me, but it does occasionally. Then I can listen to something like that. And yeah, I feel better. Yeah. So anyway, um, I hope y'all enjoyed that. And um, the next one is um, our kids show. Last week I did. Well, um, it's not a kids show. More like an adult. Yeah, show, a super superhero kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, they had it where I got it from. They had it in the juvenile section. So, uh, um, but anyhow, um. You made me lose my thought. You were talking about the kids' show? Oh, yeah. Um, thank you. Mm -hmm. I need a coach all the time. <laughs> right. But we got um, this next one. It's, you know, last, oh, yeah, last week uh, I did shows that were kind of geared to, towards um, smaller children. So this week I kind of wanted to do something that was kind of geared more toward the adolescent set so and the blue beetle he kind of is and um he's he, he kind of reminds me of the shadow in the fact that he he can make himself invisible but um that's the only thing that's like the shadow <laughs> but <laughs> uh anyway uh what's the name of this episode i forgot Finesse in Diamonds. Yeah, no wonder I couldn't think of that. Finesse in Diamonds. So here we go. Enjoy. Hey, 
I'm uh, Dan Garrett, Miss Ridgeway, a friend of Charlie Stone. Oh, yes? Charlie asked me to do what I can to help you in this unfortunate case. I suppose you'll tell me what you know about this jewel robbery. Well, all I know is that the night Mrs. Bannister was held up and robbed of what proved to be a joke diamond necklace, I was awakened by Mrs. Bannister and some police officers and questioned about the disappearance of a diamond necklace. Were you aware of the fact that there were two almost identical necklaces? Yes. Mrs. Bannister told me some time ago her husband had urged her to have a duplicate necklace made of imitation diamonds to wear when she went out in public. She had such a necklace made, and when the necklace was with a letter by the jeweler, I put both boxes in the safe. You and Mrs. Bannister were the only ones who knew the combination of that safe. Mr. Bannister also knew it. He's away, I believe. That's right. Now, what can you tell me about Mrs. Bannister's private life that might be helpful in solving this mystery? What has she done recently, and, and whom has she been associated with? Well, I, I'm afraid I couldn't divorce things like that. I assure you, Miss Ridgway, the information will only be used to right any wrong that has been done. Well, Mrs. Bannister has been losing heavily at bridge recently. She, she's been rather more than attentive to Don Ricardo, the orchestra leader at the Starlight Club, since Mr. Bannister has been away, and... And last week, she had a long interview with Mr. McCaffrey, a private detective from the Acme Insurance Company. Before the robbery? Yes. Have you any idea what the interview was about? No, but, but I noticed she seemed quite thoughtful after that and a bit more cheerful, as if something had relieved her mind. Hmm, that's very interesting. Oh, please, when can I get out of this horrible place? The disgrace of it being put into jail like a common thief. No, 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 don't worry, Miss Ridgway. I'm on your side, and I'll do what I can for you. Well, I think that for the present, you're safer in than out of jail. Well, Danny, I got the commissioner to assign us to this banister case like you asked me to. Now, where do we go from here? We separate at the next corner. Watch that. Say, what sort of a game is this? Sorry, Mike, but we've got to work fast in this case. We can get results quicker if we each work on separate leads. That way, we'll still be solving the case together. Okay. Well, what do we do? You run over to the Bannister's townhouse and interview Mrs. Bannister. Well, what do I ask her? Ask her what her interview with McCaffrey of the Acme Insurance Company was about. And also ask her if it's true that she's lost heavily at bridge recently. Well, maybe she'll refuse to answer the question. That doesn't matter. The important thing is to study her reaction to the questions. Okay. Well, uh, what are you going to do? I'm going to make some important phone calls. I'll see you later at headquarters. Okay, but uh, if Mrs. Bannister throws me out of my ear, I'll take you across me knee and paddle your pants. <laughs> if you can be thrown out of your on your ear by a woman, you're too weak to paddle my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's ready for you, Danny. Oh, uh, thanks, Doc. I'm going to take the magic ray and the blue beetle flashlight with me tonight. I've got a lot of ground to cover, and I want to travel light. Uh, where's the blue beetle heading for tonight? The Strathaven Arms Apartments. Uh, who's your host? Don Ricardo, the orchestra leader. According to the information I got over the phone from Charlie Storm. Is Ricardo in on this uh, robbery? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Uh, what about this McCaffrey, the insurance company's investigator? You know, there's something fishy about him. 
I called the office today, but he wasn't in. Did Mannigan get any valuable information out of Mrs. Bannister? Just a Park Avenue manor and a sort of legal action against the city if they sent any more policemen to ask impudent questions. Oh, poor Mannigan. I bet his face was red. <laughs> yes. Well, I'd better be going, Doc. The Carter was just about playing his closing number at the Starlight Club. Come so on, Doc. Diamonds are trumps, and the Blue Beetle is playing to win. <laughs> Let's quit playing cards and have another look at that necklace. Well, there it is. Oh, boy, they sure are pretty messy sparkless. Yes. We should realize quite a sum of money on them. Is it not so, About a hundred grand? What? Is that all? Sure. The necklace has to be broken up. The diamond's sold separately. Oh, I see. Well, then there's a part of the insurance your company pays over to the Bannister name. Hey, Mike? That's right. We'll get 20% of that. Well, that's another hundred grand. With my share, I can go home to South America and marry my sweet senorita. Say, where's the fence? You said he was coming over tonight and making a bid on these sparklers. Uh, he'll be here in a minute. That's probably him now. Open the door, Ricardo. I'm afraid you're on the wrong track, Mobile. There are no criminals here. Where? What is it you want? I'd like to talk with you alone, Ricardo. Oh, but what about? As you see, we are playing cards. Mm -hmm. Now, why not deal me in? I'll make the fourth at bridge. Uh, we're expecting the other player any minute. And are these the stakes here, this string of glass beads? Look, he calls them... Your friend seems to resent my calling these things beads. What, drop that necklace, broke me? Quiet, Trigger, I said. Uh, you must pardon my friend, Bluebeard. He's laboring under the impression that those glass beads in that necklace are real diamonds. So I got it. I must say, this necklace is a very good imitation of the famous Bannister necklace. Ah, that must be your fourth at bridge, so I'll be going. I'll talk with you some other time, Ricardo. By the way, gentlemen, if your visitor is by any chance a fence to whom you hope to sell the necklace... I'm sure he'll verify the word of the Blue Beetle. Those diamonds are fakes. Were the diamonds in the possession of Ricardo, Mac, and Trigger fakes? And if they were fakes, who has the real diamond necklace? Can the Blue Beetle pick up another clue and locate the missing gems? Or is Lucy Ridgeway an accessory to the real thief? famous Bannister diamond necklace, valued at $500,000, is missing. Lucy Ridgeway, Mrs. Bannister's social secretary, is in jail, accused of being implicated in the theft. So far, two necklaces, both fake, but resembling the real necklace, have been discovered. One which was stripped from Mrs. Bannister's neck by Thug as she was leaving the Starlight Club, and another by the Blue Beagle, which he found in the possession of Don Ricardo, leader of the Starlight Orchestra, and a man called Max, whom the Blue Beetle suspects of being McCaffrey, an investigator for the Acme Insurance Company. As our story opens, Patrolman Dan Garrett, who is secretly the Blue Beetle, is discussing the case with his friend and confidant, Dr. Franz the chemist. You could have knocked me over with a feather when I picked up that necklace in Ricardo's apartment and discovered it was a fake. Second, <laughs> with a match, and that makes two fakes. Yes. Uh, what about McCaffrey, Don Ricardo, and Trigger, as you say he was called? I imagine I'll run into them again shortly. Good, you 
Only on suspicion. Remember, I caught them with a fake necklace as a blue beetle. A blue beetle can't testify in court. Yeah, that's right. It seems a shame. According to this morning's paper, Ricardo was sailing for South America tonight. What? Are you sure? Well, I remember. It said Don Ricardo, popular Starlight Club officer leader, is sailing tonight on the Cristobal for South America. Oh, I've got the stopping somehow. Yeah, but how? The ship sailed at midnight, doesn't it? I believe so. I've got it. We'll pick him up just as he's sailing. And hold him as a material witness in this case. At least it'll give us a little more time to run down the real thief. Ricardo's arrest scare off the others. I'll wait until the last moment before sailing. In the meantime, I've got a busy time ahead of me. Can I have you, Danny? Ah, uh, yes, sir. You might have your recording equipment hooked up to your telephone. But if I should call you at any time on my portable wireless telephone, you could record anything I pick up. All right, Danny. Uh, where are you going now? To get the combination of a banister safe from Lucy Ridgeway. I'll be back shortly and pick up the camera and photoelectric equipment. I may catch a thief with a camera. If you think you can double-cross me, Mrs. Bannister, and get away with it, you're mistaken. But you yourself suggested the plan for hiding the necklace, so I could collect insurance and pay off my gambling debt. Yes, but the necklace you left in the safe was a fake. A fake? What, what do you mean? Just that. I took that necklace from the safe myself. The friend examined the necklace and declared it a fake. What a fake? A man who disposes of stolen goods. But you said nothing about disposing of the jewels. You said they were to be hidden for a while until I could raise the money to refund the burglary insurance payment later when the jewels were found. Don't be a fool, Mrs. Bannister. Where could you ever hope to raise money to pay back the insurance? My husband, he would... He would divorce you if he knew the facts in the case. Good pardon, madam, but there's a police officer outside of the German garage who wishes to speak to you. Wishes to speak to me? What? Well, what shall I do? He must have been waiting some time, madam, until we see him coming. Uh, what do you think, Mr. McCaffrey? Uh, see him. It won't do any harm. Very well. Uh, you may show him in, William. Very good, madam. You don't think he overheard anything, do you? No, he's only a cop. The Truman Van Garrett. Good evening, Mrs. Bannister. Oh, I, I see you are not alone. Uh, this is Mr. McCaffrey of the Acme Insurance Company. Uh, He's as much interested in my missing necklace as I am. I can well imagine. I uh, just wanted to ask you to identify this photograph I have here. Well, that's my husband. And he's standing in front of our wall safe. Uh, what's that he has in his hand? It's my necklace. When was this photograph taken off, sir? Late this afternoon by a secret device at your country estate. Then he had the real necklace all the time and is just putting it back in the safe. Perhaps. Well, Mr. McCaffrey, I suppose this will clear up your part in this case. Well, we'll interview Mr. Bannister later. Yeah. Yes, of course. Well, I'd better be going. I have a lot of details to attend to. Uh, goodbye, Mrs. Bannister. Goodbye, Officer uh, uh, Garrett. I'll be seeing you. Yes, I'm sure of it, Mr. McCaffrey. <laughs> McCaffrey conversation early this evening, Doc? Yes, Danny. It wasn't very loud, but it's intelligible. Good. I had the mouthpiece of the portable wireless phone against the wall while they were talking in the next room. A 
And here's a photograph I took earlier this evening with my photoelectric camera of McCaffrey here at your wall safe. Well, that was the click I heard. That's right. Enough evidence to convict you. Now hand over the necklace to Mr. Bannister. Well, here it is. Are these the real diamonds, Mr. Bannister? Yes, these are genuine. I put them in the safe myself when I got back from the West. I had them in a secret hiding place. I had a duplicate made, and apparently Mrs. Bannister had one made also. And we'll turn these men over to the captain, who will send them ashore with us under guard on the pilot boat. You can prosecute me. I don't wish to prosecute. I have the real necklace. My wife has confessed, and I have forgiven her. I wish to avoid scandal and forget this case as quickly as possible. Well, you see that Lucy Ridgeway is released from jail, and her name cleared. It shall be done immediately. And I'll see to it that she will lose nothing by her unfortunate experience. That's great. Well, the Blue Beetle's job is done. You crooks are getting off easy. Take the Blue Beetle's advice and stay away from York City. And so the Blue Beetle ended another racket, saved a foolish woman from the consequences of her first misstep, and restored the good name of an innocent young girl. The moral of the story is, one falsehood leads to many, and one misstep may lead one farther and farther along the path of crime. Further adventures of the Blue Beetle will be presented in the next episode of the Blue Beetle. feature, appearing in Mr. Men Comics Magazine and the Blue Beetle Magazine. The Blue Beetle is on the air twice a week on this same station. Consult the broadcast schedule in your local newspaper. And don't forget to listen in to the Blue Beetle. I should note, the preceding program was originally broadcast in two parts, and I edited out the, well, that ending of the first part and the beginning of the first part. Sorry, the introduction credits and all that stuff, I edited out and made it one continuous episode. So, uh people can understand uh am i muted or unmuted you're unmuted oh okay so uh i could also tell everybody that i'm an avid comic book collector and i have been collecting comic books for a while and until graphic audio came along i thought comic books were lost to me um, having said that, with the advent of graphic audio and, of course, now these radio series, it's, it's, it, I'm really happy that it's part of my life again. Though I can understand why, um, those classic series 
ended because I mean they're just so hokey. <laughs> I mean, I honestly believe that Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone cornered the market on dumb sayings. <laughs> <laughs> but to say, oh well, uh, something about diamonds around his neck <laughs> was the first time. Uh, by the way. By the way, there used to in the comic books there used to be uh three versions of the blue beetle. Uh the first was the blue beetle of the 60s which was his secret identity was Dan Garrett, a a uh, cop. Uh and then later in the 80s and 90s uh the Blue Beetle's secret identity was Ted Cord, who used to be a, an apprentice of Dan Garrett. And then Dan, and this is going to seem convoluted, but Ted Cord was then murdered by Maxwell Lord, who turned out to be an evil telepath. And, and, until that point, they they had made the Blue Beetle into an average person. Uh, for example, like Batman, with only special gimmicks and stuff like that. And, and of course, you know, uh, a workout regimen, blah, 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 to make him... Uh, almost superhero-like. But at that point, when Maxwell Lord killed him, they decided to incorporate a mystic component to the Blue Beetle. And they created a scarab. That scarab came into possession into the possession of Shazam, uh, otherwise known as Captain Marvel. And uh, when... Shazam died and the Rock of Eternity was destroyed in um, oh I forget the name of the series oh yeah Crisis on Infinite Earth it came into the possession of Jaime Reyes of uh, I think he was from Arizona or New Mexico one of those and uh it's amazing how you can make this stuff just seem interesting just by a of just a little change, like the introduction of the scarab. Um, I mean, I think that's Im impressive. I mean, I I, I can't even. I I mean, what strikes me is that they called comic books magazines back then. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to be able to read comic books. Yeah, uh, my my sissy would get them, mm -hmm. and she could read them. Sometimes she'd read them to me or read stuff in it. Yeah, but you know, I never had anybody sit down and read me a whole comic book. They just uh, didn't. Um, but I always wanted to be able to read them, but I never could. So I then I ne so I never collected them. 
So I guess I'll have to steal some of yours sometime. Well, they're sitting in, the, in my <laughs> blue box. It was a blue box my granddad made me well, um, for after, Christmas. After the show was over, I'll just, you know, bring some over, over to your house. And, right. You know, riffle through them. Folks, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm from Tennessee. He's from Toronto, Ontario. And so I don't think I'll go too, <laughs> too quickly there. Yeah. I mean, I do have the death of Superman. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that's worth some money. I'm not, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a big superhero fan, but, um, so I, the comics you liked were Archie and Jughead. Uh, yeah. And some of those others, um, yeah. and graphic audio just introduced that series. Uh, oh, all right. Archie uh, and, and the Riverdale gang. Um, you know, I, I sometimes I like Superman but uh, uh, my stepson that I, I used to have a stepson back in the eighties and um, um, he loved his superheroes. And yeah. uh, when he first, um, when, when I first started taking care of him, he, um, if he didn't want to do something, he would bring Superman up. Like um, I was going to try to get him to go to to um, a little Sunday school gathering, uh, like it, it was the first weekend he was there. And um, that might have been a little soon, but I felt like the sooner I got him into being with other kids, the better. Uh, but anyway, but he said uh, he, he didn't want to go. And uh, I asked him why. He said, Superman has to work late. <laughs> <laughs> and... and uh, well, that's so, cute. So one time, but and and his and after Superman, his big his big man was He Man. He he loved the He Man series. Oh my and, god! Um, so um, one time, one time he uh, he didn't get something done that I told him, and he I said, uh, "Well, you know, why didn't you do it?" And he says. Superman didn't have the powers to remember that. And I said, well, Superman better find the powers to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and how old was he at that time? Uh, he's about five. Oh, wow. He well, was he cheeky. He was even cheeky back then. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, are we ready to move on to the next one or are we still doing blue no. beetle no we're ready oh okay i didn't know if we had uh no no i just i just parts or like i said i just wanted to point out the fact right. that it was broadcast originally as two episodes but i turned it into one yeah um so the next thing we're doing is um information please is that what we said i think mm -hmm. so yeah there's a game show and this you know i'm not I, that it pl pays to be ignorant to me that's really not much of a game show it's funny but, but you know it's not like you think a real game show would be you know where they ask the question and somebody actually has to come up with the answer <laughs> but i guess that's why it pays to be ignorant <laughs> um, <laughs> but um this next one though is kind of a quiz type thing 
uh, is called information, please. And it's like where somebody sends in, these people send in questions. And if they use their question on the program, and I think I'm right that it has to be answered correctly, uh, then they get $5. Uh, but anyway, is it, is it five dollars? I I know there was one where they gave out a car. Um, yeah, that would have either been this one or you bet your life. Right. Uh, I they might have got. I listened to this one the other day, but I didn't. I don't remember for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, what's the name of this one? Uh. Don Kieran. Oh, uh, Don Kieran. I thought it was Joseph Kearns. Oh, maybe I'm getting him mixed up with somebody else. But anyhow. Um, Hold on. Let me confirm it. Uh, My mistake. John Kieran. Kieran. Yeah. John Kieran. Okay. So here we go. Information, please. <laughs> Wake up, Mr. and Mrs. America. Time to stump the experts. The battle royal between the public and the experts is on again, in which the much quizzed public turn the tables and quiz the experts. In this new national pastime, you get the opportunity to try and flunk the professors who have always tried to flunk you. Sounds good, doesn't it? Well, to make the revenge taste even sweeter, if you succeed in flunking the experts, you will be rewarded with a $5 prize. If you want to take part in this new popular national game, here's how it's done. Send us questions and the correct answers. If acceptable to our editors, they will be presented to a board of experts for the first time during each broadcast. Questions accepted will win $2 each for the person who submits them, and any questions the experts cannot answer will be rewarded with an extra $5. The contest of the public versus the experts will be refereed by Dr. John Erskine. Ladies and gentlemen, I present Dr. John Erskine. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We have before us in the studio an intelligent audience and four brave men who will try to answer any question asked by anybody in the United States. You've just heard them called experts. That name will do for the present. The four experts this evening are Franklin P. Adams, columnist of the New York Post, Marcus Duffield, day news editor of the Herald Tribune, Bernard Jaffe, head of the physical science department of the Bushwick High School, and John Kieran, sports columnist of the New York Times. Mr. Kieran is our special guest of honor. He'll get the hard questions. Each of these experts is at home in his field and ambitious in all the others. Mr. Adams is a great reader of books. He is also a writer of books. I don't refer to the same books. (laughs) He is also an expert in tennis and pocket billiards, as he confessed here last week. And since you read his column, you know he translates Horace from time to time and is fiendishly adroit in detecting a misprint or a mistaken spelling. In appearance, he is solemn, if not sinister. (laughs) He sits nearest to me at the end of the line. 
And this evening he's wearing a gray suit and a blue tie, which stands for truth. <laughs> Mr. Duffield is remarkably informed about current events, but I understand that archaeology and prize fights have each an appeal for him. And when he is bored with politics, he reads science for relaxation. He sits at the other end of the line. In appearance, he is youthful and optimistic. And this evening, he wears a dark greenish suit with a grayish shirt and a brownish tie. <laughs> Mr. Jaffe, who sits next to him, really knows science, but he is prepared to throw light on literature, music, sculpture, and poker. <laughs> In appearance, he is youthful but settled, and he wears a brown suit with a light brown tie, which doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Mr. Kiran, our guest of honor, is, as you know, a sports columnist. He sits next to Mr. Adams. That is, if you know the natural tendency of sports columnists, is probably on the way to be a dramatic or literary critic, an authority on social, political, and economic questions, and on off days a humorist. I stand in awe of him. In spite of his gray hair, he has the eager look of the insatiable young. <laughs> and he can ask pointed questions as well as answer them. He wears a brown coat this evening with a spotted brown tie, which means the sporting spirit. These experts haven't seen the questions in advance. The questions will be addressed to all of them. Any one of them may raise his hand. If the question is composed of more than two parts, the four experts may consult among themselves. If any question or any part of a question is answered incorrectly, five dollars is forfeited. When you hear the cash register ring, you will know five dollars is being paid out to the lucky questioner. If there's any money left at the end, the experts will share it as a bonus. Here in the studio, a number of people are waiting to ask the questions they sent in. Questions received from out-of-town listeners will be presented by your chairman. Just a second now. You hear that sound? That's the experts. The brains of the experts <laughs> begin to click. And here's the first question from Mr. Fred Payton Green of Buffalo, New York. The following questions refer to well-known old-time songs. Answer any four of them. First, what was everybody doing in the song? Everybody's doing it. Second, what happens after the ball is over? Third, where did boys and girls together trip the light fantastic? Four, into what vehicle was Josephine invited in the song, Come Josephine? Five, upon what seat, where she looked sweet, was Daisy invited to sit? <laughs> Now, can you remember those questions, children, or shall I read them again? Read them again. Number one. 
What was everybody doing in the song, Everybody's Doing It? Two, what happens after the ball is over? Three, do it one at a time, and I'll get them. Do one at one a time, and I'll answer them. Fine. Mr. Adams, volunteer. One, what was everybody doing in the song, Everybody's Doing It? Turkey trot. Correct. Two, what happens after the ball is over? Many a heart is breaking. Correct. It's aching, but that's near enough. Three. What's the question? Where did boys and girls together trip the light fantastic? On the sidewalks of NY. Correct. <laughs> Into what vehicle was Josephine invited in the song Come Josephine? In my flying machine. Absolutely correct, and you have four. Glad to sing them. I'd be very glad to sing all of them. Mr. Adams, that's where we part. Next question from Miss Pauline Goldstein, Malden, Massachusetts. In what sport are the following terms used? Timing, football, huddle. Squeeze, play, and puck. Uh, just call them over again and I'll Mr. answer them. Karen will finish these off. Stymie. And golf. Football. Tennis. Huddle. Football. Squeeze, play. Baseball. Puck. Hockey. That's very easy to make. I need the help of Mr. Adams. I'll ask him... Repeat in a loud voice these words. Hello, folks. It was a tough fight. Mr. Adams, if you please. Hello, folks. It was a tough fight. Now, here's the question. Who were the first to hear that statement made by Mr. Adams? The people sitting here in the rear of this studio or the people listening to this program in Los Angeles? Mr. Jaffe. The people listening over in Los Angeles. You want the reason for it? Yes. You don't need to give it, but we'd like to hear Well, I'll give the reason. Radio waves travel at a much faster pace than sound waves. In fact, sound travels 1,100 feet a second, and radio waves travel 186,000 miles a second. Next question is from Mrs. Alice Pulisi, Wadsworth, Ohio. Name four ex-sovereigns each of whom now is a man without a country. I'll try. I'll take a Mr. chance Duffield. on that, Mr. Dr. Erskine. Uh, Alfonso of Spain. Um, uh, Edward VIII of England. Very good. Prajatapok of Siam. How about now? a little help there? Yes, a little help. How about the Negus of Ethiopia? Good idea. Also, the German Emperor. Emperor. That helps us out. Except for of Germans. 
permission from Mrs. Walter Giles of New York City. Now, this is a good one. Why might a gentleman pass up a date with a melanocroic female? I will repeat the one important word, melanocroic. How do you spell it? M-E-L-A-N-O-C-H-R-O-I-C. Melanocroic. I'd be afraid of it. <laughs> Mr. Adams, rising. Well, never heard of her. Mr. Kerr. What kind of man would it be that would be afraid of meeting this woman? Now, don't dodge the show, Mr. Kieran. Well, uh, melano, well, that comes from the Greek meaning black, doesn't Correct. it? Correct. And what's the Freud come from? I, uh, that's also a Greek word, I should say, on account of the C-H in there, but uh, what it, it means... I told you, Mr. Kieran was a wonder, you see. He's up on the Greek. Uh, but it's, uh, what the heroic part means, I don't know, and uh, I think when you don't know, it's a good idea not to keep a date with a woman. Heroic <laughs> is what a bird does. <laughs> well, I don't get the logic, but the de general idea is correct. Does, does the board all, all hands up? All right. I'll tell them for the information that the melon was all right, that means black or dark, and the croic means skin. And the name was applied by anthropologists to all dark-skinned people, and some gentlemen prefer blondes. <laughs> Next question. From Mrs. Wittich, Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Here are four streets each of which is associated with a famous character of literature. Can you name three of them? First, Baker Street. Second, Wimpole Street. Third, Quality Street. Four, Main Street. Mr. Kieran again. Why, uh, just call them off. Uh, First, Baker Street. That's the uh, residence of... Uh, uh, the uh, famous uh, detective uh, fiction, uh, Sherlock Holmes. That's right. Now, the next one was what? Wimble Street. Oh, well, that's uh, Barrett. Yes. Quality Street. Uh, I'll skip that one. I'm not quite sure. But Main Street, of course, is uh, uh, your red-headed friend novelist. What's his name? <laughs> Mr. Lewis. Well, you're right, Mr. Kieran. The uh, Wimpole Street in the uh, play on the Barrett's and Quality Street, Barry's play, the character was Phoebe Throssell that you were dodging there, and the Kennecott's were the people in Main Street. Very good class. Next question. From Mr. Robert... <laughs> Mr. Robert Ensel, Weehawken, New Jersey. I spent my childhood and youth in Weehawken. I'm interested in this question. What man who later became president of the United States was defeated as candidate for vice president? What man who later became president of the United States was defeated as candidate for vice president? Mr. Duffy. I believe it was Mr. John Adams, the second president. I think he ran as vice president in the beginning. Doesn't sound right, uh, but no, doesn't I buy your luck. <laughs> no, 
don't think so. Thought you were up on current events, Mr. Duffy. Bass oh, was... sure. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Well, that's quite right. Yeah. Should All have right. brought that cricket. Yeah. <laughs> he defeated the vice president, and now he happens to be president. Now, here's one to Mr. Jack Levine of Toronto, Canada. And he's here to ask it himself. If someone went into a store and bought something made up of a piece of wood, glucose, water, and the fruit of the theobroma tree, what would he get? That's a stunning question. I'll, I'll, I'll read it again to see if I understand it. If someone went into a store and bought something made up of a piece of wood, glucose, water, and the fruit of the theobroma tree, <laughs> what would he get? I think I have it. Mr. I'd like to have it anyway. Mr. Johnson. Right. It's a nice big lollipop. That's right. <laughs> Mr. Johnson forgot to tell us the flavoring. It would be chocolate flavored. But that was, that was pretty close. Now, so far, the penalties are, are very light to class are holding out. Is that five? Well, we've lost five dollars so far. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the question is, have won five so far? Now, what would be the correct strategy in the following imaginary play of football? You are receiving a kickoff just behind your own goal line. The ball bounces off your hands and rolls to a stop in the end zone. Should you fall on it, run it out, or let it alone? Well, it doesn't make you should sure. fall on it. Why? You shoot the last that is, that is That is... Well, it's a touch right. Yes. There's Correct. no play on it. Correct. I Now he rise to another realm entirely. I don't know what we rise. This is a question from Mrs. Priscilla La Palla, New York City. Give the names of famous philosophers which rhyme, whose names rhyme with the following. Tomato, Barbara Fritchie, Bottle, Whiskey Sour, and Snooty Dane. <laughs> Try them one by one. I think. How many do you want there? Four? How many names do you want? Well, the question asks for the names. How far can you go? <laughs> what is the first one? Tomato. Plato. Right. What's the second? Barbara Fritchie. Nietzsche. Right. Bottle for the third. Aristotle. Right. Schopenhauer. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> You'll win. Right. Nudie Dane. I imagine that's uh, William James. You're correct, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> you would 
contract on the other. Now, is an oxygen tank necessary to sustain human life in the troposphere? This question comes from Edward Harrington, Philadelphia. I'll take that, uh, Dr. Oyskin. Mr. Johnson. An oxygen tank is not necessary in a troposphere. The troposphere extends to a height of about five or six miles, and life can be sustained without oxygen there. The class is very solid tonight. Next question from Miss Margaret Lawrence, New York City. Name a poet, a prize fighter, and an aviator whose names are strikingly appropriate to their profession. A poet, a prize fighter, and an aviator whose names are strikingly appropriate to their profession. Try the poet first. Well, there was a poet named Akenside. <laughs> I'll, rule, I'll rule that correct. I have the aviator, Dr. Bryson. Frank Hawks. Pardon? Frank Hawks for the aviator. Great. We still have a prize fighter. Prize fighter. Well, I don't know whether he's a prize fighter or not, but he goes in the ring, and his name is Bear, Max Bear. <laughs> I don't think I qualify this appearance. Is that the penalty? I think? Well, I think there's a, a fighter. He's not very good. Good one named Striker. <laughs> you don't mean Hitler. <laughs> I'm reminded I should tell you what we were fishing for here. A prize fighter named Armstrong. <laughs> That's a better name for a detective. <laughs> Next question. I think to be asked from the studio, I'm not sure, Mr. Wally Freed of New York. Mr. Freed, will you name the Supreme Court Justice appointed by President Roosevelt in his first administration and one in his second administration? Question is, can we name the Supreme Court Justice appointed by the President Roosevelt in his first administration and an appointment <laughs> in the second administration? I think I Mr. can answer. I'll try anyhow. I'll give the second one first. I'm yeah. sure of that. That's Justice, Mr. Justice Black. And I think that uh, Mr. Justice Cardoso was appointed during his first term. <laughs> well, um, one error. One error. Very sorry. One hit. No appointments in the first administration. Mr. Hoover appointed Mr. Cardoso. And in the second administration, I think the question was a little bit tricky. Uh, I should say so. It was Mr. Black. There's also Mr. Reed, was there not? And there are two in the second administration, none in the first. Next question, Miss Helen Rugen, New York City. 
She offers us the following unfamiliar second stanza of a very famous poem, and we're going to ask the experts to supply the first stanza. Now this is the second stanza. One day she went upstairs when her mother, unawares, was in the kitchen, occupied with meals, and she stood upon her head in her little trundle bed, and then began hurrying with her heels. First stanza. That's the second. <laughs> They're all shaking their heads. Never heard of it in their lives. Give up. Give up. Yes, sir. Give up. There was a little girl, and she had a little curl. <laughs> I'll give him a moment to recover. Here's a question from Mr. Luke Raviella from Afton, New York. Select four of the following and tell us what sort of creature each one is. Now listen carefully. Number one, the laughing jackass. Two, the titmouse. Three, the ladybird. Four, the Chuckwills widow, and five, the brown creeper. Mr. You, Kieran. You have to tell all five of them? <coughs> no, select four. All right, you call them all. Number one, the laughing jackass. That's a bird. A bird, correct. Two, titmouse. Well, that's another bird. Correct. Right around here. Three, lady. <laughs> I beg your pardon? I beg your pardon? Three, ladybirds. I don't know that I one. I know that one. Mr. Jaffe. That's a beetle. Correct, Mr. Jaffe. Chuck Will's widow. That's uh, the uh, southern equivalent of our whippoorwill of this area. Correct. And five brown creeper. This brown creeper is a small accessorine bird that uh, feeds on uh, insects. <laughs> I don't know how with so much brains in the in the class we have piled up a total number of penalties. Twenty dollars so far. Easy come, easy go. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. From Mrs. Herbert J. Hayes, Waterbury, Connecticut. With what person do you associate each of the following phrases? Number one, the little flower. Two. The greatest showman on earth. Three, the Swedish nightingale. Four, the wizard of Menlo Park. And five, old hickory. Oh, fast, but open up your hand first, children. I didn't say. Was it Mr. Duffield there? Mr. Duffield? That's right. Number one, the little flower. Here are LaGuardia. Number two, the greatest showman on earth. Barnum. Number three, Swedish Nightingale. Florence, uh, oh, wait a minute, huh? <laughs> well, go on to the next. I'll think of her when I come back. Uh, <laughs> four, the Wizard of Menlo Park. Thomas A. Edison. Five, Old Hickory. Andrew Jackson. And three, the Swedish Nightingale. Oh, you're back there again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's sing it together. 
to duet for Mr. Garrett <coughs> Mr. Adams. <coughs> Next question. The Nightingales of the Bronx. <laughs> from Mr. C.F. Smith, Brooklyn, New York, and I think he's here. Explain three of the following slang expressions, telling the game from which it was derived. One, behind the eight ball. Two, he couldn't get to first base. Three, ace in the hole. Four, four flusher. I'll read, <laughs> I'll read the question again, though I'd, uh, if I had time, I'd argue with Mr. Smith as to whether they are slang expressions. I believe they are professional and highly technical. The first is behind the eight ball. Second, he couldn't get to first base. Third is ace in the hole. Four is four flusher. And the jury of the class are asked to explain the meaning of thrill. I yield to Mr. Adams. Mr. Kieran yields to Mr. Adams. Behind the eight ball is supposed to come from pool, but it doesn't. It comes from a game called eight ball, which is uh, a black ball and uh, is uh, <coughs> roughly uh, stymies the player. What's the other one? The next is he couldn't get to first base. That comes from the game of American baseball. Uh, three, uh, ace in the hole. Stud poker. And four, four flusher. Draw poker. And what does it mean? Well, it's supposed to mean a, uh, a man who uh, is not, is uh, pretentious and who uh, hasn't got that's all correct. the cards. That's correct. <laughs> we have one more question here, and the time's getting short. I think you'd like to hear this from Mr. Jack Lippman, Brooklyn. I think he's here. Is Mr. Lippman here? If not, I'll read his question. Which of the following foods contains the highest percentage of water? Milk, macaroni, or oysters? The oyster. Mr. Jaffe is right. We now know whether to begin the meal with milk or oysters or feed the child oysters or milk. Penalties, total oysters penalties too, 20, and I, I must hurry on and tell you that we have no more questions for tonight. Total penalties 20. I offer you our thanks. Members of the board, all the folks that have submitted questions, Mr. Cross has a word for you about next week's contest. Good night, everybody, and come again. Thank you, Dr. Edson. We'll again next week for another mental tug-of-war with Mr. officiating. The board of experts will include FPA, Franklin P. Adams, Marcus Duffield, Bernard Jaffe, and our guest of honor, Mark Connolly, author of Green Pastures. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Wow, I wasn't quite prepared for that to end. <laughs> <laughs> My mind went, it was just like, I don't know. But that's a fun show. It's amazing. Uh, how, you know what? I actually thought I knew some of the questions, but apparently I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that last one. 
about, you? about the oysters. And then there was one or two more that I knew, but then uh, the rest of them, I was just kind of stymied. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't think of what a four flusher was. No, me either. <laughs> I guess I thought it was somebody that was that just kept flushing the toilet. The toilet yeah. four times. No, I'm just. <laughs> well, and, and and here I am thinking, you know, getting to first base had to do with, uh, with you know, kissing a girl. I thought it came from baseball, but I wasn't. Well, real no, good. it does come from baseball, but <laughs> it just meant you know, kissing yeah. a girl. Second base is. Well, I won't touch. Uh, uh, this isn't. This isn't uh, snap. <laughs> I'm a girl. Anybody want to kiss me? <laughs> I will, darling. Oh, all right, sweetheart. Oh, there thank you, you, thank you. Uh, but just don't let your wife beat you up. <laughs> no, that's fine. She's not listening. I don't think. <laughs> Oh, well, you might can kiss me again. Um, <laughs> anyway, we better get on to the next show. Right. Uh, this next show is called, oh, we got two more. Am I right? Uh, yes. Okay. Didn't want to. Uh, three more, actually. Oh, three? What am I forgetting? Well, you've got the whipped cream, but. Yeah, I know, but the other two. Well, you better learn to tell the truth or you're going to have to face the consequences. Oh, yeah. I forgot that I put that one on there. This was a fun show when I was a kid on television. Um, and it's kind of fun here, too. Uh, truth or consequences. I remember back in the day when Bob Barker used to do it, but I don't think he didn't do the radio show. Uh but we'll see who does it. <laughs> I, I forgot. Here we go. Maestro. Good in your washing machine. Take your clothes out bright and clean. When you does your wash, you'll sing. does everything. Hello there. Been waiting for you. It's time to play Truth or Consequences. Yes, Truth or Consequences, the show that does everything on the air, brought to you by Does, the soap that does everything in your walk. And here is a very excited master of ceremonies tonight, folks. Excited because he dreamed that Miss Hush would be identified tonight. So here he is, Dream Boy, Ralph Edwards. Greetings, party players in high Harlow. <laughs> Sit down, Harlow. Dream boy, my eye. Nightmares more like it. Listen, listen to the list of prizes to be won by the one person in our Truth of Consequences audience who identifies Miss Hush when we call on the phone. Now, Harlow, you check them off to make sure that uh, I mention every one of them. A 1947 Buick Super Convertible from the Howard Automobile Company. A Bendix Home Laundry with washer, dryer, and automatic ironer. A round-trip ticket for two via United Airlines to Honolulu and a suite of rooms for two weeks' vacation at the Matson Lines Royal Hawaiian Hotel. A $2,000 Columbia House trailer completely equipped. A $1,000 diamond and ruby Boulevard wristwatch. An RCA Victor radio phonograph combination, plus a new 1948 RCA Victor television receiver and a library of 100 Red Seal records. An I.J. Fox $1,500 full-length beaver coat, an all-metal Luscombe Silver airplane from Dallas, Texas, $2,000 in cash, 
a $1,000 popular mechanics home workshop with a library of popular mechanics instruction books, a Servelle silent gas refrigerator, and Sherwin-Williams with their cover-the-earth trademark paints will paint your house inside and out. Of course, the winner should have a big red box that does, too. A real prize on wash day. Right down the wash line does, does everything. Now, in a few minutes, we'll make our first phone call in the Miss Hush contest. Oh! oh, excuse me. A lady came up to my phone. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to yell at you. You scared me a little. No, but Al Pascal, you scared me now. Yeah. What's this late? What is your name, please? Mary Vichunas. Yeah. <laughs> well, hold on to it just a minute, Mrs. Uh, Voluptuous. Now, <laughs> uh, a phone call in the Miss Hush contest in just a moment. First, a consequence or two. Where are you from, Miss What? Sister of Illinois, Mary Vichunas is my name. Yes, how do you spell your last name? V-A-I-C-U-N-A-S. Smith. Well, come in a little. There you are. Get in as close as you can to the microphone. <laughs> All right. Now, we asked for a gentleman in the audience who could speak Italian. This was one of the fellows. How do you do? What is your name, sir? Kyron Papa. And are you? Yes. No, I'm not a father. You're not a father. How are you, Mr. Papa? Okay. May I present Miss Bituminous? How do you do? <laughs> Bituminous, you're from Cicero. From Cicero. What's your occupation? Housewife and I raise canaries. You... <laughs> Look, we got into rabbits last week. Let's leave the canaries alone. But many... I didn't spit at you. I know. I got my teeth in. Yes, I... <laughs> How about Mr. Poppy, you still here? Yes, sir. You raise canaries, too? No. Please say no. How many canaries do you have? Oh, about 200. Yeah. <laughs> Get those Angora rabbits that Faye had up there last time with Mrs. Uh, uh, Vesuvius's um, canaries. We'd be in a question. Mrs. will have a little consequence. Okay, Mrs. Uh, Okay. Mrs. Okay. All <laughs> right, Mr. Papa, you do speak Italian. Yes, ma'am. How do you... Yes, sir. Yeah, it's all right. I... <laughs> we never know on this show what's going to happen. Listen, uh, how would you say hello, everybody? Here we go. Uh, buongiorno, tutti quanti. Yes, and uh, you, you said that again. All right. Aldura Richardson of Chicago gets $5 for this question. From Chicago. <laughs> question from Chicago. What is it that you throw away the outside, cook the inside of the outside, eat the outside, and throw away the inside? Truth or consequences, Mrs. Uh, Vicunas... And Mr. Papa. I don't know. Do you know that, Mr. Papa? No, sir. Or... Uh... Corn on the cob. Oh. Corn on the cob. You throw away the outside, cook the inside of the outside, eat the outside, throw away the inside. How are the canaries? Fine. Who's taking care of them tonight? Oh, Daddy. Daddy's taking sure. the old crow's home. Yeah, that... yeah. Old... Oh, right. The spring now... chicken here. <laughs> the spring chicken's here. I could. I'll punch up the joke for you. All right. Now, Miss... Mr. Uh, Papa, you said in the warm-up that you spoke Italian. Yes, sir. Yes, all right. Now, we're going to give you something to say to Mrs. Vicunas here in Italian. Now, Mrs. Uh, Vicunas, you should excuse the expression. You, you, run, you run off stage a moment so you can't hear, you see? Okay. All right, okay, you go with Mr. Basco, Mr. Bailey. And Mr. Papa, if you can make uh, Mrs. Vicunas understand in two minutes, when she comes back, two minutes, Mrs. Vicunas, uh, what we have told you to say to her, we'll give you both $25 extra. You want to try? Yes, sir. Okay, boy. Now, Mrs. Vicunas is off stage. Now, we want you in Italian to explain to Mrs. Vicunas how to milk a cow. Milk a cow. Yes. And when you come to certain parts of your description, use the word faucets. Uh, you can say that in English if you want. Yes, sir. Yes, Forsetio. No, that's a voice, isn't it? Yes, sir. All right. Now, you can use your hands except for the one motion of milking a cow that would give the gag away. You probably have to use your hands okay. in speaking, huh? Well, I'll tell you, when Italian people speak, they, 
Them hands explain everything, but I'll try. You try, all okay. right. But except when you come explaining how to milk okay. a cow. Don't use that motion, yeah. you know, like... Yeah. All right. Now bring Mrs. Vicunis back. Don't anyone give the gag away. Now, Mrs. Vicunis, here she comes. All right, I'll get over here with the microphone. Johnny Pollock, turn on the roving microphone. And uh, you stand over on this side, please, Mr... Uh, that's it, Mr. Papa. Now, Mrs. Vicunis, listen to me. Uh, $25 to both. Will you move it just a little okay. so I can... Thank you. <laughs> 25 Okay, okay. <laughs> I was trying to push, but I saw that was useless. Now, $25 to both you and uh, Mr. Papa, if you can understand what he is trying to tell you in a two-minute race against time. All right, Mr. Papa. Signor oh. Vaitune, se vevori... Ah, wait a minute, now, wait a minute. You don't know what it is. Se vevori, volevi tu, pugno mio vaca, faucet? No, I won't go home and lay no egg in hatch or canary. No, no, no. <laughs> so, talk to the lady now. To paint in a piccolo stadia, as that, a punyet. A punyet. Sam, the great tobacco. Great tobacco. Sam, the deco. Moo, moo. Have a good. No. Totally pick a regatti, regatti. Sam, the devil, the latte. Have a muscillari, muscari. A Sam, the deco, great tobacco. Moo, moo. No, no, no. We're all pulling for you. Come on now, get in. To punyet, punyet. Uh, How do you feel sit down? What happens? I have to pick no pickle of stairs here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, what do you want me to do? Sit down and what? Lay an egg in the... <laughs> <laughs> Look, all right, use the, use the word and, and show with the expression with the hands now. You can... What kind of a noise does it make? Moo. And Oh, yes, I drive an automobile. <laughs> <laughs> Si pugna, 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 latte, beve, fa muscolare, pugna. What noise does it make? Moo. Oh, milk a cow. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Papa. Thank you very much. That was wonderful. Oh, okay, okay. Pulling for you, yeah, Mr. Papa. Yeah, does everything Oh, yeah. Yeah, does everything for me. You bet, Mrs. Vicunas. You're wonderful. Okay. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, $25 a piece extra plus $10 consequence money. Now, uh, stand by. In a few moments, we make our first phone call in the Miss Hush contest. Oh, uh, Mrs. Vicunas, <laughs> you get this big... <laughs> you get this big red box it does, too. You... Yes, you bet it does, Miss Vicunas. Here in Chicago, they found one thing does doesn't do, though. It doesn't stay on the store shelves. Right, Harlow? Right. More and more families are dozing their wash these days from Chicago to Cheyenne. Everybody's choosing this one wonderful soap that does everything in the family wash. Does really is different from all the other leading package soaps sold for wash day. Even gives you more suds, ounce for ounce. And they're real soap suds, too. You bet. Those does suds have the cleaning power to get grease-stained work clothes clean, spanking clean with just a short washer run. To get streaked up towels and linens beaming white, really dazzling white, without any hard scrubbing. And does, does more. It's actually safer for the newest, brightest colors you wash. When you've got does, you've really got something. Yes, the soap shortage proved there's no substitute for does. You see why it's selling faster than ever, folks? First chance you get, get does. From the roughest and toughest to the whitest and brightest. Does, does everything. What a soap. Thanks, Harlow. My, aren't these, isn't this a lovely-looking couple at the microphone? Here, two uh, uh, parents, I believe, from Chicago, right? Right. Come in real close. You're Mrs. Albright. Hello, Ms. Albright. How are you tonight? Just fine, thank you. Just fine. That's good. And Mr. Albright. Very good, thanks. What's your occupation, sir? I'm a chemical salesman. 
Good. How's it selling these days? All right. Well, <laughs> it's peak. All right. Now, ladies and gentlemen, don't leave your phones or radio. A Miss Hush call is coming up, and we'll keep the party rolling with uh, our two contestants here, Mr. and Mrs. Albright. Here's a question Alice M. Hensel of Worcester, Massachusetts asks, what can run on one leg? What can run on one leg for a long time? How about that, Ms. Albright? Uh... What can run on one leg? A lady's stocking. <laughs> That's All right, you haven't told the truth, so you must pay the consequences. Now, Mrs. Albright, Mr. Albright, you told us during our pre-air time period that you had a, a, a little boy, 8, 9, 10, or 11, or how old? Just 11. Is that right, Mrs. Albright? Yes, All right, now. Uh, what is his name? Tommy. Tommy. And where is he now? Oh, he's supposed to be in bed. Oh, Tommy, you better he's be in bed. probably listening to this radio program. Is he? Tommy, Mommy's on the radio. Look, look, Tommy, Mommy's on the radio. Mommy's on the radio. All right, now, backstage, we have a jury of psychologists, child psychologists, and we want you to discuss any problems you may have concerning your son, Tommy. So will you run off stage and make a list of the things you'd like to ask the jury? Will you do that, Mr. Albright? Mrs. Albright? Okay? All right. Now, uh, this is going to prove very educational. It might be a great help in the future upbringing of your child. Off you go and uh, get all the points listed. They're gone. They can't hear. Ooh, what's going to happen to Mrs. Albright? Now, her husband, Mr. Albright, is in on the gag. The jury of child psychologists, we mentioned, is the famous juvenile jury that you hear on the radio. Jack Berry, their creator and conductor, has brought the jury to a truth or consequences tonight. It consists of five children from the ages of five to ten. But tonight it will consist of six children. The sixth is Mrs. Albright's little boy, Tommy, disguised as a little girl. And here he is in a blue dress, pink socks, and blonde curls. Come out, Tommy. Here he is. He's really a rough and tough little guy, but look at him now. Hello, Tommy. <laughs> oh my! Are you are you all set to play a little gag on mother? Sure am. Oh, <laughs> that boy's coming out with that dress. Well, it, it, it'll uh, it'll work now, don't you worry. How do you feel? Huh? Like the dickens. <laughs> with the dress? Oh, don't worry about that. Now, just one one thing. We'll we'll call you Elizabeth. See? Okay. Okay. And whenever I ask you what you think of Tommy Albright, that you you say nothing wrong with him. He's a swell kid. Let's hear you say that in a high voice. That's it. Keep it, keep it up there. Oh, Tommy, keep it up there. That's wonderful, Elizabeth. I mean, Tommy. <laughs> Excuse me. All right, now you go back behind the curtains with the juvenile jury. When I introduce them, you come out with them. Okay. Now, don't anyone give the gag away. Bring back the Albrights. Aren't we devils? <laughs> all right, now, here we're all set to go. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Albright. Ah, yes. Mr. and Mrs. Albright, uh, the jury is about to appear, and you may sit in what we might call the witness chair. Are you all set, Mrs. Albright? Yes, I am. Okay. And uh, I want you to meet... How are you now, Mr. Albright? Very fine. Just be seated with your wife. Meet the famous child psychologist and well-known radio juvenile jury. Come out, juvenile jury, and here they are. What do you think of that? Wow. Uh, did, did you expect the 18? I certainly did. Well, no. Well, let me tell you, these kids, these kids are terrific, Mrs. Albright. They know children, believe me. Uh, children... Children, I want you to meet, I want you to meet uh, Mr. and Mrs. Albright, whose child will be the subject of your discussion tonight. Uh, first, here is little, I tell you, I'll let each one of you give your names. Charlie, you get into the microphone, and, and this is Mrs. Albright, Charlie. You say your name. Charlie Hankinson. How do you do, Charlie? How do you do? Hello, Charlie. <laughs> yes, and then that, and little girl? Peggy Bruder, age nine. How do you do, Peggy? How do uh, Charlie, you do? how old were you? Six. Yeah, well, you're getting to be a big guy now. All right. Yes, sir? Your name? Kong Lung. How do you do? Hello. That's Kong. And the next? This is Mr. Robin Mr. Morgan, age five. How Robin do you do? Robin Morgan, the Albright. Hello, Robin. Dickie Rowan, age seven. Yes. 
And uh, how, uh, you're seven, and... Elizabeth Bailey, age nine. All right. Now, okay. Now, the jury is ready to hear any problems you have with your little son. Now, I'm not Jack Berry, but I'll try to uh, be mediator here. And you may get in on this, too, Mr. Albright, if you will. All right. Your first uh, uh, problem, Mrs. Albright. Do you have a problem? Yes, my... My little boy likes to go to the movies, but he wants to take a date. You think he's too young? All right. Now, uh... Let's see, Charlie, what do you have to say about that? What movies does he like to go to? Well, uh, Wild West and Adventure. Huh? Double features, he can spend more time there. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, Peggy? Has your son had any experiences with girls before? Well, we're not quite sure. What'd you say? We're not quite sure. She's not quite sure. She's just, uh... All right, Elizabeth? Oh, nothing wrong with him. He's all right. Yes, all right. Now, uh, Kong? Is the girl pretty? Well, we hope so. Yes, uh, let's have Robin now. Well, you're probably worried because... You're probably worried about him going out because he takes too much of your money. So why don't you tell him to ask the girl to pay for everything, and then you won't have to worry. Well, do you think he'd get a girl to go out that way? You think you'd get a girl to go out? Well, I tell you what, we'll save that for the, uh, the uh, decisive period, which comes uh, later. Uh, Dickie? Did you go out with boys when you were 11? No, I didn't. Uh, well, that could be that. All right, uh, Elizabeth? Oh, nothing wrong with Tommy. I just think you should let him go out. Let him go out. All right. Well, now, this is very good. Uh, Kong, do you have another question? How old is a girl? About his age or a little bit younger. Yes. All right. Now, uh, well, all right, Charlie, Quay, they, they keep... How much younger? <laughs> <laughs> Not too much. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, do you have another one, Robin, that you want? Yes, sir. The only question I can think of is, who is Miss Hush? <laughs> it's Mumbles. That isn't supposed to be in there now. Mumbles. All right. Now, I tell you what. Uh, we have the, the problem has been presented. The, uh, the questions have been asked by the kiddies. Now, let's have each child here on the juvenile jury uh, say uh, what they want to about this situation. Now, here comes the decision. Let's see. Uh, do you have a, a decision in mind for this uh, Mrs. Albright, Mr. Albright, about their son who wants to go to the movies and they don't want him to go? Charlie, how about you? Well, I think that you should let him go to the movies. Even he's so young, but I think he should. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have your opinion. Yes. All right, let's have, um, let's have Peggy. Now, Peggy? Well, before I give my answer, I want to ask one question. How much allowance does he get? <laughs> About 50 cents a week. Oh, boy. I'd like to meet, meet him myself. Yeah, now, never mind, Peggy. Please, Kong, what do you got to say? How do you I like that? He... Uh, all right, Kong, what do you say? I think he should go out with a girl because later he might like to marry her. Yes, you can't tell. Robin? Well, I think that he'll have enough time to go out with girls when he's 23 or 50. Oh, she's on your side. Go on, Patty. All right. Dickie? Well, the way the, the girls are wearing long dresses today, I don't know why anyone wants to take them. Oh, <laughs> All right. Now, uh, uh, Elizabeth, what do you think? Nothing wrong with Tommy. I, 
He's a good kid. Yes, all right. Well, I guess these children have solved all your problems, uh, Mrs. Albright. I think you should be grateful for all this advice. As a matter of fact, uh, Elizabeth here has a great deal of faith in your little boy, hasn't he? She she nothing does. wrong with him. Oh, both of you, uh, come on over here, and I want you to meet them personally. Um, uh, you, uh, Elizabeth seemed to have a great deal of faith there. Uh, my goodness. Hey, isn't Elizabeth cute, Mrs. Albright? She certainly yes. is. Hasn't she got beautiful blonde curls? Very, I should say. Elizabeth, give your curls to Mrs. Albright, why don't you? Huh? Are you going to give the curls to her? <laughs> hey, there you are, Mama. Hi, Mom. Well, Tommy Albright. What are you doing, Tommy? <laughs> oh, man, we really got it. I'm going to pull you, Mama. I certainly, I don't know what to say. Oh, well, it's, it's little Tommy. Oh, how, how do you feel now? I feel like getting off this dress. I'll bet you do, kid. Thank you, juvenile jury, for a wonderful job. Thanks, too, to your head man, Jack Berry. For each of you, um, including Tommy, we have a $25 savings bond and a Parker pen and pencil set. And for you, Mr. and Mrs. Albright, we have a 72-piece set of fine art sterling silver plus a big red box of does. There you Isn't are. Uh, any jury will tell you there's no soap quite like does. From the roughest and toughest to the whitest and brightest, does does everything. Now, and now stand by, stand by, America. I'm now going to call the person who gets first crack at tonight's giant jackpot consequence. This is the person in our radio audience who gave us in our first week's contest the best reason why we all should support the March of Dimes. Now, uh, let's see, let's see, let's have first of all the call here. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, hand me the phone, please, and I'll place the operator. Get me Charlotte, North Carolina, please. Now we know the city. We know the city, I'll bet... Everyone in Charlotte, North Carolina, who entered the Miss Hutch contest is shaking in his boots. Hello. Charlotte, North Carolina. Our NBC operator will give you a number in Charlotte to call. Will you please ring it? Give her the number, please, NBC. We found out that Miss Hush is not Elsa Maxwell, Maud Adams, Spring Byington, nor Fred Allen. As a matter of fact, we've had a couple of very exciting weeks with the telephone calls. We lost uh, uh, ten years of our lives there last week. Hello. Waiting for the call. There you Hello, hello. This is Ralph Edwards of the Truth or Consequences broadcast. How are you? Is this Mrs. George A. Steele of 1424 East 7th Street, Charlotte, North Carolina? Is this? Are you speechless? She's going, da, 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 da. Uh, Now, the rules say the writer of the best entries must be ready at their telephones. Your entry on why we should all support the March of Dimes was selected as the best entry tonight. All right, the big question, and you can give only one answer. Tell us who you think is Miss Hush. Uh, Would you say that again, please? You say Sister Elizabeth Kenny. You say Sister Elizabeth Kenny. Oh, I'm sorry. Sister Elizabeth Kenny is wrong, but don't let this discourage you from trying again next week in case our second and third calls tonight are incorrect. And thank you, Mrs. George A. Steele of 1424 East 7th Street, Charlotte, North Carolina, for your contribution to the March of Dimes. Thank you. You're a lovely lady. Good night. Good night. Two more calls now to be made. Let's have some more consequences first. Huh? All right, let's get the calls in then. That's okay. Let's get the calls going tonight. Later on, you will hear the voice of Miss Hush, and I'll tell you how to become eligible for the giant jackpot of prizes. And now, now listen. Does nominate this week's Dishpan Duzzer. She's Mrs. John Boucher, 135 Forer Boulevard, Dayton, Ohio. Congratulations, Mrs. Mrs. Boucher. You found Does Does Everything in the Dishpan, too. From a fast cleanup on greasy pans, to ever love and care for hands. Believe me, does is a whiz for dishes. Even makes more suds, ounce for ounce, than any strong granulated soap. 
Real soap suds that stand up till the last dish is done. Changing to does from those soaps can mean smoother, prettier hands, too. Start does in your dishes, folks. Does, does everything. Does, does it, Harlow. a boy. Now we call the writer of the second best entry in this week's Miss Hush contest on Truth or Consequences for the March of Dimes. Hand me the phone again, please, Al. Oh, my. Here we go. Hello, operator. Get me the Bronx, New York, please. Okay, here we go. This could be it. Stand by, Miss Hush, in case it's guests. NBC engineer X, stand by. Our first call to Mrs. George A. Steele of Charlotte, North Carolina, proved the voice was not that of Sister Elizabeth Kenny. Hello, New York City. Our NBC operator will give you a number to call in New York City. Would you please ring it? <laughs> if this person cannot identify Miss Hush, we will make our third call in a few minutes. In a city of seven or eight million people, there's a good chance that it could be ended with the right name. Who is Miss Hush? Hello? Hello? Is this Mr. Charles Kieran? Of 50 West Tremont Avenue, Bronx 53, New York City. Mr. Kieran, this is Ralph Edwards on Truth or Consequences. How are you, sir? You've been waiting for this. Hello, I've been waiting for you. He says, that's fine. That name, Kieran, that sort of scares me. <laughs> One Kieran, John Kieran, is a regular encyclopedia of knowledge. Are you? No relation. Good. Your entry on why we, I mean, you no relation, period. Your entry on why we all should support the March of Dimes was selected as the second best entry tonight. All right, tell us who you think is... Miss Hush. You say the answer is Miss Tallulah Bankhead. You say Tallulah Bankhead? Mr. Kieran, I'm sorry. Miss Hush is not Tallulah Bankhead. Thanks for supporting the March of Dimes. Many polio victims will be aided by your and other entrance contributions. Try again next week, sir, and good night. Thank you very much, Mr. Kieran. All right, now, uh, on with another consequence. <laughs> I keep saying consequences. Let's give it the phone call. You betcha. And uh, in a few minutes, another phone call. And if Miss Hush is not identified, then you'll hear the voice right after this call. I'm glad you're making your contributions dollars as well as dimes when you send in your entries. Give me the phone again, please. Hello, third call to the writer of the third best entry uh, in this 1947 Miss Hush contest. Operator, get me Reno, Nevada, please. Oh, <laughs> anything can happen out there, you know. This person doesn't know the identity of Miss Hush. Three more fabulous prizes will be added to our already giant... Gi Hello? Uh, Reno, Nevada. This is NBC Chicago. Our operator will give you a number in Reno. Will you please ring it? We've certainly had uh, good representation tonight. Charlotte, North Carolina, the Bronx, New York, now Reno. I wonder if uh, Clara Bowe is listening. Oh, she's in Las Vegas, of course. I wonder if Mrs. Hush knew who's Miss Hush is. Hello? Hello, this is Ralph Edwards of Truth or Consequences. Is this Mrs. A.P. Wilson of 631 West Street, Reno, Nevada? Congratulations on a fine entry statement, Mrs. Wilson. Now, before I ask you the all-important question, your entry on why we should support the March of Dimes was selected as the third best entry tonight. So you get an opportunity to identify the voice of Miss Hush. The big question now, tell us who you think is Miss Hush. You think it is who? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You, uh, it is not Sister Kenny. That's a shame that you weren't listening. Uh, Sister Kenny is wrong. Uh, but thanks on behalf of the March of Dimes and Truth of Consequences, keep trying, will you? Good night in Reno. Oh, so the name of Miss Hush remains a mystery for another week. Listen to the jackpot now. I hope your name will be called next week. Next week, in addition to the 1947 Buick, super convertible from the Howard Automobile Company, a Bendix Home Laundry, a round-trip ticket for two via United Airlines Mainliner 300 to Honolulu, and a suite of rooms for a two-weeks vacation at the Matson Line's famous Royal Hawaiian Hotel, a $2,000 Columbia house trailer, a $1,000 diamond and ruby Bulova wristwatch, an RCA Victor radio phonograph combination plus a new 1948 RCA Victor television receiver, and a library of 100 Red Seal records, 
an I.J. Fox 1500 full-length beaver coat, a Luscom Silvero metal airplane, $2,000 in cash, a $1,000 popular mechanics home workshop with a library of popular mechanics instruction books, a Servel silent gas refrigerator, and Sherwin-Williams cover-the-earth trademark paints will paint your house inside and out. To all this, truth or consequences next week, we'll add a Hart Schaffner and Mark suit and top coat for every adult man and woman in your family, a Tappan gas kitchen range, and a 13-cubic-foot Jacobs home freezer, product of Jacobs Wind Electric Company, Minneapolis, filled with bird's-eye frozen foods. Who is Miss Hush? Well, stand by. Here she is. From somewhere in the United States comes the voice of Miss Hush. Listen and good luck. Here is the voice. Second for Santa Claus. First for me. Thirteen for Reese. Seven for Tree. Bring me an auto, a book, and a ball, and I'll say Merry Christmas in spring, not in fall. Who is it? If you think you can identify the voice of Miss Hush, this is what you do to enter the contest. Now listen, everybody get in it. One, finish this sentence in 25 additional words or less. We should all support the March of Dimes because. Two, enclose your entry in an envelope. Only one entry to an envelope with a money contribution, if you please, for the March of Dimes. Three, mail with your name, address, and telephone number printed clearly in the upper right-hand corner to Miss Hush, Hollywood, California. Don't send your entries to the Truth or Consequences office. Four, do not include the name of Miss Hush with or on your entry. And don't forget, each week brings a new contest until Miss Hush is identified. All entries received by Monday, uh, November 17th, will be judged, and the writer of the best entry in this group will be called next Saturday. Enter each contest as often as you choose, however, only one entry to an envelope. Eligibility for participation is not contingent upon your contribution to the March of Dimes. Let your heart be your guide. Each week, the writer of the best entry will be called, as we did tonight. You must be available at your telephone at the time of our Eastern broadcast. Now, if you know the identity of Miss Hush, when we call you, you win the giant jackpot. Entries will be judged for sincerity, originality, and aptness of thought. And listen to this, listen to this. The judge's decision is final. If you are not at your phone for any reason when we call you at the time of the Eastern broadcast, you automatically will be eliminated. All entries and ideas therein become the property of Truth of Consequences. None will be returned. Any residents of the United States may compete except employees of Truth of Consequences, NBC, Procter & Gamble, their advertising agencies, and their families. Only one attempt will be made to reach the contender for the prize, and that attempt will be on a regular Eastern broadcast on Saturdays at 8.30 Eastern Time, 7.30 Central Time, 6.30 Mountain Time, 5.30 Pacific Time. Remember, finish this sentence in 25 additional words or less. We should all support the March of Dimes because... The address, Miss Hush, Hollywood, California. Now, here she is again, Miss Hush from somewhere in the United States. Come on, you know this woman. Uh, can't you give us some hint, Miss Hush? I'll try, but it's hard for me to express myself on the radio. You listeners probably have never heard my voice, but students and adults should know my profession if they know all about Santa Claus. Although it's not time to retire, good night, everybody. Who is it? I'll give you another clue. It's not Fibber McGee and Molly. Someone is going to win. Maybe next week, I hope it's you. And if your contributions to the March of Dimes are generous, the polio victims, large and small, will be the winners in the end. So get in the contest. <laughs> now, well, how does you do? It's our happy, good, as singers with their merry washing machine. Hello. 
to unmute my mic a few uh, okay I, I started to unmute a few minutes ago and then it started back up and, yeah and then i started speaking too soon anyway bong 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 <laughs> yeah i know i know i know it's, uh, it's, it's sometimes it's weird anyway we got two more um, the next game show is, it was a pretty popular one back then, and um, I kind of like it. It's a, it's a word game. It's got a secret word to it, and they tell the audience at the beginning, but naturally the panel doesn't know it. Uh, it reminds me kind of of a game that used to be on television when I was a little bitty girl. I know a secret <laughs> oh, it used okay. to come on at night time but anyway sit back and enjoy You Bet Your Life the word night is foot F-O-O-T really you bet your life Elgin American, creators of America's most beautiful compact, smartest cigarette cases, finest dresser sets, present Groucho Marx in the Elgin American show, You'll Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here's that sterling Elgin American, the one, the only... That guy's still around. Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx. 
Thank you. Here I am again with $2,000 for one of our couples tonight. George Fanneman has placed a try for it. We invited some movie fan club presidents and some movie fan mail clerks to the show. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Verlee Gross from Universal Pictures and Miss Barbara Ring, president of the Dana Andrews Fan Club. And here they are, ladies, mate, Groucho Marx. Welcome for Elgin American Compact, girls. And if either of you say the secret word at any time we're talking, you each win a 16-millimeter Apollo Sound movie projector. It's a common word, something you always have with you. A studio mail clerk and a fan club president, eh? Barbara Ring, uh, what fan club are you president of? The Dana Andrews fan club. How many members do you have? 900 nationally. Fairly gross, eh? You're the girls in the studio yes, fan mail department. Eh? About how many letters does your studio average uh, a day? Well, I would say around 3,000. Mm-hmm. Who gets the most mail? Well, we've gone to Carlo, who's appearing in crisscross here. Why, why is that? Well, I think she has a certain exotic appeal, appeal for men, and... Appeal, uh, I think, would be closer. <laughs> <laughs> well, why do most people write fan letters? Well, the majority, oh, I would say about 90% of the mail we receive is asking for free pictures. Mm-hmm. And do you send out free pictures? Oh, yes. How much do you charge for free pictures? <laughs> Ten cents per dollar. Ten cents. Well, that's pretty cheap for a free picture. <laughs> Uh, what what other mail do you get besides the ones asking for pictures? Oh, we get proposals for marriage to the women stars and to some of the men stars, too. And uh, then we get letters from crackpots. Probably the best example would be the fellow who wrote in and wanted the gum that Dick Powell had chewed in a picture. <laughs> Probably a beach nut. Eh? <laughs> What's the oddest letter you ever got from a movie fan? Well, I think probably the woman who had seen the life of Riley, and she asked, coming out now. Huh? Mm-hmm. And she asked for uh, she asked us for William Bendix if we would send him, and she sent ten dollars to cover the charges. And he wouldn't go. No, he, he told us to send back the ten dollars and send a big picture that he autographed to her personally. And then we had the, the young chap who wrote in and uh, asked for one of our stars, to we say, unmentionable. He said that he was no. having a... Let's not say unmentionable, huh? <laughs> Lingerie? Well, yes. And he said he was collecting them. It was his hobby. He had well, was he hundreds. collecting them filled or empty? <laughs> the perfect gift for each of you, for Burley and for Barbara. Belgian American stunning red compact trimmed in bright jewelless bronze. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Barbara, let's get back to your fan club. Why did you pick Dana Andrews? Why didn't you join the Groucho Marx fan club? <laughs> oh, I didn't know there was one. <laughs> I'm not sure there's a Groucho Marx. <laughs> As president of the Dana Andrews Fan Club, just what do you do? Well, the girls like to meet their president, and I just preside over the meetings and pound the gavel. And then what do you do? You just sit there and pound the gavel all the time? <laughs> that doesn't sound like a meeting of woodpeckers, doesn't it? <laughs> well, how much do you know about uh, Mr. Andrews? Well, he was the third son of a minister. And his hobby is boating, and he never lets his children, he has four children, he never lets his children go on the boats because he's afraid they'll fall off. He and his wife go out boating. How do you get all this information? Oh, I read all articles that are written on him. Why do you go to all this trouble? Are you, are you actually... 
Here's a man, a father with four children. Huh? Are you trying to horn in on a territory? It's, it's my hobby. How do you think his wife feels about this, huh? She maybe knows, I don't know. He's out there with his wife in that rowboat. Does he always think his wife? No. Uh, have, you, have you ever met him personally? Oh, yes. He's been introduced to me before, so I think he remembered me. I wasn't sure, though. So I just introduced myself, uh, and he said, oh, you're the president of my fan club. And did you have the mallet with you? <laughs> does, does, does his wife belong to the club, too? Oh, yes. He's not really member. I see. No, it's very nice. <laughs> Do any of your members collect items that your hero has touched? Well, we had one girl that, uh, she went up and asked this dog named Andy if she could have a few pieces of hair out of his head. And he, he complied. She didn't want the whole head. <laughs> Like to have, but Just couldn't. some locks, huh? <laughs> she could have got that at the delicatessen. <laughs> and? and she got it. He let her take some hair off of his head. And it, no, she just took hold of it and pulled it, pulled it off. <laughs> well, it's such a nice way of spending the morning, huh? <laughs> There's another girl that collects uh, old cigarette butts that he's thrown away. What does she do? Follow him around with a garbage can? Well, this doesn't seem like a very romantic relationship. That you have, huh? Collecting old cigarette butts and pulling his hair out doesn't. I wouldn't consider a very fancy romance. Well, you make a very interesting team. Now, let's see how well you can work together for $2,000. In just one minute, you're going to play the Elgin American game you bet your life. First, George Farnham is going to offer some invaluable advice. Go ahead, George. Have you looked at your compact lately? One look now can save your reputation in accessories. If that look shows you a compact that has seen its best days. Remember, your compact is the one accessory you use most, that other people see you use. And it either adds to or subtracts from the smart impression you want to make. Compacts are such important fashion accessories today that every woman needs three. One each in the correct mood for her daytime, sports, and evening clothes. Only Elgin American offers such a thrilling variety of designs, shapes, and sizes for every apparel need. And in such a wide price range that every woman can have an Elgin American compact to reflect her good taste in glowing terms. Look at your compact tonight. And tomorrow, get the compact fashion preferred. America's number one compact. An exquisite Elgin American. Now, let's see if you two will get a chance. It's a $2,000 question. You're going to play your bet your life. Benjamin, tell them the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $2,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they won't know what goes on until it's their turn. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. What question category did you select? Comic strip characters. Comic strip characters. How much of your $20 will you bet on the first one? Ten. Okay. Mac and Mr. Simpkins are characters in what comic strip? Tilly the Toiler. Tilly the Toiler is correct. Off to a great start. They have $30. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. How much of the 30 are you going to bet this time? 20 All right. In what strip do you find the little Indian lonesome polecat? Little Abner. Little Abner is correct. They now have $50. Here's your third question. How much of the 50 are you going to go for? 40 40 Doesn't get along fine. In what comic strip is Hot Shot Charlie? 
Hot shot, Charlie. Take a stab. Any answer's better than none. I'm sorry. It's Terry and the Pirates. They now have $10. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 10 are you going to bet? 10. 10. All right. Alexander and Cookie are children in what comic strip? Blondie and Daddy. Blondie is correct. And they wind up with $20. And good luck for Melton American Compact. Don't go away now. You're still in the running for the big question. And perhaps the next couple will say the secret word, Groucho. It's foot. F-O-O-T. They've been in a waiting room off stage. Okay, boys, bring them in. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected an airline hostess and a traveling salesman. And here they are, Miss Mary Bullock and Mr. Joe Bud Mead, Groucho Mark. Welcome for Elgin American Compact, folks. You know about the secret word. Here's a clue. It's a common word, something you have always with you. You might say it at any time we're talking. An airline hostess and a traveling salesman, eh? Miss Bullock, uh, what's your line? PWA. And salesman Joe Budd? Yes, sir. Where are you from, Mr. Budd? Georgia. Well, what do you sell, Mr. Budd? Ophthalmological instruments and supplies. Mm-hmm. Would you mind clarifying that? Uh... <laughs> Ophthalmological instruments are instruments which are used in refracting or examining the eyes and determining the proper vision and vision of the patient. I don't let's overdo it. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Mr. Bud, uh, are you married? Yes, sir. How'd you meet your wife? Was she a farmer's daughter? <laughs> no, she wasn't a farmer's daughter, but, uh, but her father was. Her father, father was a farmer? <laughs> <laughs> and father right. That's quite a trick if you can do it, huh? Your father-in-law married a farmer's daughter. Huh? Your, your father-in-law married a farmer's daughter. Yes. Well, now you've got me confused, huh? <laughs> uh, Stewardess uh, Mary Bullock, huh? That's correct. Uh, are you related to the uh, department store downtown? I haven't been able to trace it yet. Well, <laughs> we'll try it. They'll load it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, an attractive girl like you, why, why aren't you married? Do your male passengers consider you too flighty? <laughs> <laughs> well, would you like to get married someday and settle down to us? Yes, I do. But I'm afraid I'm getting a little bit choosy now. I find one person with nice quality I like and another one with nice quality, but I can't find them all in the same man. Well, you'll find out after you're married to one of them that none of them have all those qualities. <laughs> Could I make a reservation with you for tomorrow night? Sorry, I haven't quite. You can leave your plane at home, you know. <laughs> You fly tomorrow night? With a fly-by-night outfit, huh? <laughs> you load? Do you load the passengers on your ship? Yes, I do. Uh, do they ever come unloaded without you? <laughs> yes, they do. We unload them. Do any of the passengers ever try to uh, make a, a date with you? Yes, they do. Uh, what do you do? Sure. Go fly a kite, you tell them? <laughs> I don't think they trust me when I get on a plane. The first thing the hostess does is always strap me in the seat. (laughs) Now, before we pry into any more secrets, I have a handsome cigarette case for our traveling salesman. And for our airline hostess, a smart, round, compact, both in two tones of jewelers bronze. And here they are by Elgin American. Oh, it's lovely. I have an outfitted in that. Exactly. I think any outfit you wear would match. <laughs> With that compact, you'll always be able to powder your nose at 20,000 feet, Mr. Lott. 
That is, if you can reach your nose at 20,000. <laughs> Miss Bullock, uh, what qualifications do you need in order to become an airline hostess? Well, the age is uh, from 21 to 27 years of age, and uh, height from 5 foot 2 to 5 7. Bullock, you said it. You said foot, and that's the secret word. So you each win an Apollo 16 millimeter sound movie projector. And not only that, but you can also walk out of here tonight with over two thousand dollars. Now let's settle on the business. Thank you, Miss Bullock. Now, Mr. Bud, as a traveling salesman, do you, do you ever fly? Oh, all the time. You fly all the time. Yes, sir. Could you fly around the studio? <laughs> 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 Do you have a pretty good stock of jokes to keep your customers in a good mood? Well, we use a pair of two around. Could you give us a sample, Weez, just so we can get an idea? <laughs> I mean, let's be well, walking in the, the store now. Well, have you heard this one? Uh, did well, you, you don't one start off. You don't just open the door and say, have you heard this one? <laughs> Quite right. <laughs> Stop the evening for you, Dr. Marks. Have you heard the one about the uh, mate who rushed up to the captain of the ship? Yeah, the captain, captain, the crew is revolting. Captain said, my, my, they certainly are. Well, I guess business is lousy all over. <laughs> <laughs> now, Gabby, uh, uh, let's see how good it is. <laughs> let's see how good a salesman you are. Pretend I'm a customer and you're selling bad stuff. Now, uh... You knock on my door and start selling me a bathroom. I'm the housewife. Mm, I'll knock on the door first. Okay, knock on the door. Be sure you do, because I may be dressed. Mm. The door open? The door open, Joe. Open Sesame, eh? Good morning, We had a small dog named Sesame that opened the door. <laughs> okay, I'm now standing arms akimbo. Good morning, Mrs. Mandangle. I would like to interest you in... What is my name? <laughs> <laughs> in the hypothetical case, uh... Mrs. Fandangle. Mrs. Fandangle. Huh? <laughs> I say an improvement over the one I've got. <laughs> now, take a moment of your time to interest you in the world's latest development in the way of a bath tub. I see. Do you have it with you? I have one out in the car. I can very quickly bring it in and install it and give you the, the full advantage <laughs> I'll rather tell you about it. You're not getting serious. Select a few of these. Well, this is a fur-lined bath tub for fur Fur-lined bath <laughs> which, which also has a new patented feature. You, you're acquainted with the uh, pleasure that you get in a bubble bath, and you have the bubbles all flowing up and above, and occasionally they overflow and go over the side onto the floor. However, we have a, a new patented feature. It's an air intake valve that surrounds the upper edge of the tub so that as the bubbles come up, as they go right into that line of the tub. And this tub, by the way... Well, I'll, I'll take a half a dozen of those and a cheesecake. <laughs> You're a pretty good salesman. I'll take two of those tubs because I may want to take more than one bath. <laughs> and that, that fur lined uh, tub really intrigues me. I may have the Dana Andrews Club come up and pluck the hair out of that. <laughs> and now then, 
you're going to play, you bet your life. The Elgin American game, if you run your $20 and the more than our other couples, you get a chance at the $2,000 question later. Fenneman, remind our listeners how much the first couple won. The fan club president and her partner won $20. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. What question category did you select? Famous horse racing track. Famous horse racing track. All right, here's your first question, and how much are you going to bet? $10. Ten dollars All right, and what state do you find Belmont Park? Belmont Park? Belmont, that's what I said. <laughs> New York. New York is first! They're also a good start. They have $30. You now shot up to $30. How much of this swag are you going to bet on this one? Yeah. 25. She's a high flyer. <laughs> in, in what state? In what state is Hialeah, huh? Miami. Miami, Florida. They now have $55. You have zoomed up to 55 smackers, and here's your third question. How much of this 55 are you going to risk? You're going to bet 50 bucks in what state is Arlington Park? Arlington Park, Illinois. Illinois is correct! $105. All right, you're coming around the rail now. Is your last chance to beat the other couple? Right. <laughs> Bananas on the rail. How much are you going to bet on this one? You've got $105. How much are you going to let go? So we bet the C-note. <laughs> $100? A C-note, I presume you mean 100 smackers, huh? In what state is Monmouth Park? Monmouth Park? New Jersey. New Jersey is correct. $205. <laughs> Thanks and good luck from Elgin American Compact. Now, in just one minute, our last couple will play you bet your life, and then we know who gets the crack at the $2,000 question. Fenneman, what's on your mind? Every man and woman will agree that it's much smarter to carry matching accessories. And every man and woman can have that smartness with Elgin American cigarette case and lighter set. They contribute handsomely to a man's well-dressed feeling. They lend glamour to a woman's smoking. Every lighter is precision-made. And for women, many an Elgin American compact can be matched to its own cigarette case, lighter, or to both. See how pleasantly all these sets are priced. How proud you'll look and feel with a stunning cigarette case and lighter to match by Elgin American. Well, the two knows going to earn the most money tonight and get the chance at the $2,000 question. George, who's leading so far? Well, the traveling salesmen and the airline hostess are leading with $205. And here's our final couple, Groucho. They've been in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know the secret word is foot. F-O-O-T. Okay, boys, bring them in. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Dorothy Bates, the manageress, and Mr. Mac Wise, a blacksmith. And here they come, folks. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to the Elgin American program. And if either of you say the secret word at any time we're talking, you each win a 16-millimeter Apollo sound movie projector. It's a common word, something you will always have with you. A blacksmith and a manicurist, eh? Where'd you do your manicuring, uh, Dorothy? Beverly Hills Hotel. Are, are you married? Uh... Yes, I am. Yes. Yeah. Don't be so defiant about it. <laughs> How did you meet your husband, Dorothy? I met my husband at the day Ray Brosley in the New York City. He was skating? Uh-huh. And you were skating? Mm-hmm. And do uh, you remember what music was playing at the time? No, I don't. And you'll never get a chance to say, they're playing our song. <laughs> Blacksmith, neck wise, is your name? Weiss, Weiss, or... Weiss. 
Where are you from, uh, Mr. Lee? Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Just the Oklahoma. Just the Oklahoma. Are there many blacksmiths around these days? Well, automobiles kind of got them on the run, but there's two classes of blacksmiths. I wanted to work in iron, but I'm a horseshoe. You're a horseshoe. You shoe horses, huh? Yes, you ever shoe flies? Uh, <laughs> well, I let the horse do that. You let the horse shoe the flies. Now, well, that's a likely tale, huh? <laughs> Now, where's your shop, Mac? Is it under the spreading chestnut tree? No, the modern blacksmith got it on the mobile truck. And we just go around... Mobile and... truck? You said you were from Oklahoma. That's right. <laughs> Oklahoma mobile. Oh. Well, how do you shoe a horse, Mac? Well, the first thing I do is bend over. Yeah? The... Is that safe? Huh? <laughs> you, you make quite a target in that position, Mac. <laughs> Have any of your clients ever kicked about the way you uh, fix them? It's pretty hard, too. Suppose a horse doesn't want to have new shoes. How do you sell them on the idea, huh? Well, that's where the blacksmith has to be a little lover, too. The first yeah, thing you, you talk to him? You just walk up and pet him and say, no, Whoa, honey, just stand up here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Easy, baby. Easy, baby. Well, since we've got a manicure here, I better show my hand. For our blacksmith, we have Elgin American Silver Finished Cigarette Case. And for Miss Dorothy, the silver finish compact by Ocean American. Here you are, Dorothy. Thank you very much. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, Dorothy, what is the average size step a man leaves after he's held hands for a half an hour? Seventy-five cents. Seventy-five? Mm-hmm. Gee, I only give a dime. <laughs> well, who gives the largest steps, uh, old men or young men? Usually old men. Why is that, sir? Well, they usually have more money to spend than the younger folks. I feel this is probably their last contact with life. <laughs> Do you have any uh, any special methods that you use to wangle a big tip out of a customer? Well, you see the next question. Call them whole baby and whole baby. <laughs> you say stand still, honey. You give them a nice massage and. Uh... You give them a massage still, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no wonder they get seventy-five cents. <laughs> Where did you say you were located, Daddy? <laughs> my hands over in the morning. Huh? <laughs> you ever get tired, Dorothy, sitting there all day holding a man's hand and looking him in the face? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Max, uh, do you ever get tired uh, looking... Oh, never mind. You make, a, you make a very interesting couple, although I'm not exactly sure which one of you I should go to for a manicure. <laughs> now, let's see how you can work together for $2,000. You're the last couple to play the Elgin American game. You beat the other two couples, and you get the $2,000 question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is off stage, so you might not have listened. The traveling salesman and the airline hostess are high with $205. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. What question category did you select? Strong oh, that ask questions. Now, here's your first question. You got $20. How much are you going to bet at this point? And $10. Give me the title of the song. Okay, Stan. How are things in Glockamora? How are things in Glockamora? And things are up to a great start. They have $30. <laughs> Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight now. How much of your $30 are you going to bet on this one? Mm. 20 All right, here it is. <laughs> Did you ever see a dream walking is right? 
Here's your third question. You got fifty dollars. How much you gonna bet? Twenty. Twenty. All right. What's the name of this song? Play, Stan. Deep in the, the ocean. ocean. We now have $70. Now, you've got $70. Here's your last chance to beat the 50. other couple. How much of the 70 are you going to bet? 50. You're going to bet 50. All right. What is, is that all right, Max? What is the name of this song? Well, you think what is this thing called love? And they wind up with $120. And that means the traveling salesman and the airline hostess of the winning couple and get a chance to win $2,000. Years of the finest designing, engraving, finishing, and craftsmanship have put Elgin American compacts, cigarette cases, and lighters in a class by themselves. Beautiful and durable to use yourself, memorable as gifts for any occasion. See these exquisite accessories in rich colors, silver finish, jeweler's bronze, and sterling silver at any leading jewelry store, department store, or specialty shop. And you can put your cigarette case, lighter, and compact confidence in Elgin American. And here's the winning couple, the traveling salesman and the airline hostess. Well, back again to try for $2,000 of the Elgin American's money. Good luck. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you and talk it over thoroughly. And no help in the audience, please. Here it is for $2,000 in cash. The United States was a young, struggling country in 1778, and European nations refused to recognize it. What was the first European country to officially recognize the United States? What is the answer you two have decided upon? Friend. Friend? $2,000 from Elgin American Compact. You said you cleaned up tonight. Not only did you win the $2,000, but you each won a 16 millimeter sound movie projector. But $205, you earned a total of uh, $2,205. Congratulations and thanks to both of you. Elgin American Show, You Bet Your Life, is a John Goodell production. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Blonde. Editor, Bernie Smith. Music by Stanley Meyer. Remember, next week's big question pays $1,000. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for You Bet Your Life. Starring Groucho Marx. Presented by the creators of America's most beautiful compact, smartest cigarette cases, and finest dresses at Elgin American. Good night, folks. Have you looked at your compact lately? I forgot how funny Groucho Marx was. Monica, are you still there?
மனக்க ஓகே மனக்க ஐ கேன் நோ ஒன் கேன் ஹியர் யூ ஸோ ஐ கெஸ் இட்ஸ் லெஃப்ட் மீ டு to introduce the whipped cream that you might think is a cherry everybody i bring you the bob hope show with special guest jack benny enjoy everyone well i swan me too so do i how about you Yes, it's the new Swan Show with our great singing star, Doris Day. Well, I swan. A new singing favorite, Bill Farrow. That's me. Our guest, Jack Benny, Irene Ryan, the four hits and a miss, the new Les Brown Band. We swan exclusively, how about you? Yes, how about you? Well, me, my name is Robert Hopalong Hope. And now, Bob Hope's Swan's Eye View of the News. Princeton, New Jersey. Hurried conferences and frantic alibis were the order of the day here as the nation's poll takers sought to explain their disastrous error in predicting the results of last week's election. Dr. Gallup was amazed at the outcome, but he wouldn't admit he was wrong. Last night he was still peeking into the White House window and singing, Maybe You'll Be There. <laughs> He was really unhappy. When he saw the election returns, he exclaimed, It's the last time I take a house-to-house survey. From now on, I'm going to ask people. <laughs> I called up Elmer Roper and said, How can your predictions be so wrong? He said, You see, we mathematicians make a prodigious effort to ascertain by statistical and prognostication and political prestidigitation the approximate parallelisms. I said, What does that mean? He said, Where can I get a job? <laughs> And last Tuesday night, Drew Pearson said over the radio, I predict Dewey will be elected by 10.30. At 11 o'clock, he said, I predict Dewey. At 12, he said, I predict. The next morning, he said, I, yeah, 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 yeah. New York, New York. Phone company executives announced here today that telephones for automobiles were at long last ready and available for Mr. Average Motorist. I had a phone put in my car last week, but the wires must be crossed. Every time I step on the start of the spark plugs give a busy signal and the receiver squirts a quart of hot oil in my ear. <laughs> But they're a big help to the motorist. If a guy's speeding, he can look in the rear vision mirror, see a cop trailing him, call his lawyer, and the three of them can meet at the next intersection. <laughs> But think what it'll be like later on when cars have telephones and television, too. A guy's driving along, his wife calls up and says, Honey, bring home a head of lettuce, some carrots, a cucumber, and get that tomato out of your car. Washington, D.C. The greatest ovation in the history of the nation's capital greeted President Truman as a crowd of 750,000 cheered his triumphant return to the White House. Yes, sir, was at a reception. From every window, they were throwing confetti and old cabinet members. 
And the world and the world will long remember President Truman's historic words when he returned to the White House. He said, "It's okay, Bess. You can send the laundry out now." <laughs> when Harry got back to the White House, he started hanging up his coat. Governor Warren stuck his head out of the closet and said, "I'll be out of your way as soon as I pack up my oranges." <laughs> The Democrats did so well in that election, they're even coming out with new products named after the president. They got a new thing now called the Harry Truman Popsicle. It's a frozen Republican on a stick. <laughs> and with the election coming out the way it did, a lot of people had to change their plans. Now Margaret Truman has to go back to the White House, and she had it all set to be the fourth Andrews sister. <laughs> the three candidates have really changed their tune since the election. Truman's changed from Missouri Waltz to its magic. <laughs> Dewey's humming Say It Isn't So, and Wallace is singing on a slow boat to China. <laughs> only eight more days of the Swan 1949 Mercury Contest. Only eight more days to win a brand new 1949 Mercury automobile. Right now, here are more winners in the Daily Mercury Contest. October 19th, Mrs. Don Andrews of Portsmouth, Virginia. A new 1949 Mercury. October 20th, Mrs. B.V. Painter of San Diego, California. A new 1949 Mercury. October 21st, Mrs. Arlene Brewster of Topeka, Kansas. A new 1949 Mercury. October 22nd, duplicate winners, Mr. Fred S. Balsinger of Denver, Colorado, and Mrs. E.P. Williamson of Honolulu. Each win a new 1949 Mercury. October 25th, Mrs. Alvin M. David, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A new 1949 Mercury. Congratulations, winners, and... And remember, folks, there are only eight more days to enter. Lever Brothers is giving away a Mercury a day every day until November 19th. That's right, a Mercury a day plus $1,000 in cash awards daily. There's a new contest every day except Saturday and Sunday, and you can enter as often as you please. All residents of the continental United States, including Alaska and Hawaii, are eligible. Just be sure to follow the complete rules printed on free entry blanks at your store. And be sure to include your storekeeper's name. Here's all you do. Finish the following statement. I like swan soap because in 25 words or less. Then send a swan soap wrapper together with your name and address to Lever's Mercury A Day Contest, Post Office Box 3, New York 8, New York. Well, I swan. A Mercury A Day. That's right. Gee whiz. Bye, Cracky. <laughs> Here's the gal who was selected as the Orchid Queen of the National Flower Festival, our singing orchid, Miss Doris Day. Every day I love you just a little bit more, just a little bit more, a little bit more. Every day I want you just a little bit more. The day before You'll never guess how deep my love is Not even in your wildest dreams But just so you get it clear Compared to my love, my dear The Mississippi River's just a stream Just a little bit more Just a little bit more 
Gentlemen, you probably read in the papers last week that while making a picture at Paramount, Bob Hope tripped and tore a muscle in his right leg. Now let's look behind the scenes and see how an accident like this affects the motion picture industry. We take you to the production offices at Paramount, where the heads of the studio, Henry Geeksburg and Y. Free Frankman, are talking. Say, Y.F. Yes, H.G. I've been thinking. We've got a lot of money tied up in that character, Bob Hope, and if his leg doesn't get any better, he may never be in another Paramount picture. How could a thing like that happen to us? Oh, I don't know. Just lucky, I guess. <laughs> but why, F? What'll we do about Hope? His leg may be broken. Yeah. Too bad he ain't Trigger. We could shoot him. <laughs> You know how this accident happened, don't you, I.F.? Hope was doing that boat scene, and as he tried to get on board, he slipped and fell because somebody had put grease all over the gangplank. You know, it looks like someone is out to get him. Yeah. Now, remember, H.G., if there's an investigation, we're in this thing together. <laughs> Well, it seemed like the easy way. And while we're on the subject, YF, we got to get rid of a lot of the actors over here. They're getting too old. Yeah, how about that Crosby? Remember when we thought we had mice in the studio? We spent $5,000 to get rid of the mice and then found out it was Crosby's joints that were doing the squeaking. <laughs> you know, YF, I think Bing is about the same age as Hope. Yeah, I know it. If we put them in another road picture, the road's got to be downhill. <laughs> By the way, where's Hope now? He's over in his dressing room, resting. Oh. Oh, Doris, this pain is awful. Oh, is it really that bad, Bob? Let me look at your leg. Oh, my gosh, it's all twisted out of shape, isn't it? That's the wrong leg. <laughs> Bob, I hate to see you in such misery. Does it hurt much? Well, I don't care about that. I just wish it had been my other knee. Why? Well, the knee I hurt is the one with the dimple in it. <laughs> now, I'll never be able to wear my pedal pushers with a split up the side. Bob. Bob, I just don't understand how a thing like this could happen to you. You're so strong and husky. Am I? Yeah. And, and so loaded with vitality. Honest? Sure. Why, well, I always think of you as being a real He-Man. You do? Yes. I have so much more than Gregory. Why should I fight it? <laughs> Say, it was sure nice of you to drop in, though, Doris. I want to... Hello, Doris. Hello, Mr. Ho. Oh, hello, Miss Ryan. Hello, Miss Ryan. How do you feel today? Well, you know me. I always try to keep my chin up, even though my archers are falling. <laughs> I heard about what happened. 
happened to Mr. Holt, and I thought I'd come over and cheer him up. Oh, thanks. You see, I hurt my leg and I can't move it. It's nothing to worry about. Oh, I don't know about that. My Uncle Julius had the same thing once in his shoulders, and he couldn't move his arms. The doctor made him leave them in one position. Oh, that must have been terrible. Well, it worked out all right. When he died two days later, his arms were already folded on his chest. That's nice. Portia faces life. This gal backs into it. Bob, Bob, you should listen to Miss Ryan. She can help you. She's been through a lot of these things, you know. Oh, yes. I've never really been all well all my life. <laughs> that is all of it, you know. <laughs> and recently, Mr. Hope, it's been much worse. Yesterday, I thought I was losing my mind. All day long, I kept hearing voices in my head. You were hearing voices in your head? Yes, but I found out what it was. The battery in my hearing aid was low, and I was still getting the election return. <laughs> Well, don't worry. Hoover made it, you know. <laughs> but it was nice of you to drop in, Miss Ryan. Well, I do hope you get better. Oh, that reminds me, before I go, I wanted to show you a picture of my Uncle Julius. The one who died. Well, what do I want to see a picture of him for? Well, you might get worse. And if you don't pull through, it'll be nice if you know somebody when you get there. <laughs> If she ever gets married, she'll spend her honeymoon in the window of the Rexall drugstore. Well, I have to be running along, too, Bob. I promised High Averback I'd meet him. He's making a screen test over here. Averback is making a screen test? You mean they've run out of talent? Well, I think High will do very well in pictures because he just has... Oh, hello, everybody. Hello, Doris. Oh, hello, High. Are you all ready for your screen test? Yes, Doris. I just came from the makeup department. They didn't get your ears on straight. <laughs> At least my lobes are on the bottom. <laughs> well, now, Doris, uh, how about running through the screen test with me like you promised? Okay, I uh, have me the script. Yeah, now, the scene we're doing takes place in a New York penthouse. We're social leaders and we're married, but we're splitting up. Now, you have the first line, and I want you to pay close attention to my diction. Montgomery, I'm afraid that you and I are through. It's regrettable, but we can't go on. Yes, Alice. I'm so sorry that we must split... But I'm afraid we must go our separate ways. Don't you think you're carrying too many pounds of pressure there? Well, Lobes on upside down. Okay, it's all right. Well, Montgomery, if we're parting... Well, Montgomery, if we're parting, I insist that you give me the house. You may have the house. And I want the Cadillac and the two Mercury. They're yours, but there's one thing you may not have. If you're speaking of the children, I want them. You may have the children, my riches, and my home, but I insist that you leave one thing. What? That cake of swan soap in the kitchen. <laughs> Jimmy Fiddler will give this picture four bubbles. <laughs> yes, Alice. Alice, take everything, but please, please don't take that swan. Swan is the newer, better white floating soap. Swan never crumples like our dream castles did. 
No, sir, you can use Swan right down to the last smooth sliver. And why? Because Swan is made by a modern, patented process that no other soap can use. A process that makes Swan better for dishes and hands. Swan is as mild as the finest Castile. It protects your hands, keeps them soft and smooth. He's right. My hands are so soft, when I want to point at anybody, I have to starch one finger. (laughs) Oh, Alice. Alice, I can't leave you. Just think. A cake of swan brought us together again. I still love you. And I love you. I love you, Alice. Oh, I love you, Monty. I'm engaged to the Lever Brothers. Yes, for your hands, your bath, and for baby's bath. Swan is the best soap afloat. Well, I swan. Me too. Yes, sir. By Cracky. Here's our junior crooner we borrowed from the Oasis this week. The 19-year-old Bill Farrell, ladies and gentlemen. There is no verse to this song. Cause I don't want to wait a moment too long To say that I'd love to get you On the slow boat to China All to myself alone Get you and keep you In my arms evermore Leave all your lovers Weeping on the faraway shore Out on the briny With the moon big and shiny Melting your heart of stone Yes, I want to get you On a slow boat to China All to myself alone Yes, I want to get you on a slow boat to China, all to myself alone, on a real slow boat. On a slow, slow boat to China. That's my son from Cleveland, Billy Farrell. Thank you very much. Singing Slow Boat to China. Now, tonight, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we're going to present a very different kind of a, a thing here. We have a thing here. Musicians, please, no tuning while the star is on, please. Now, as I was saying, please, please, hey, you, hey, Evelyn, stop with that magic violin. I resent that. Well, Jack Benny, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Jack, what are you doing here? Some surprise. We rehearsed nine weeks already. <laughs> Bob, look, at, I heard about your leg, and I thought I'd pay you a visit. Well, that's swell of you, Jack, but how come you're sitting in with Les Brown's orchestra? 
Well, just once I wanted to play in a band and not worry about the leader's breath taking the varnish off my violin. <laughs> well, you don't have to worry about Les. Les hasn't been high since Petrillo picked him up to burp him. But look... It was awfully nice of you to drop in and see me, Jack. Well, I was sorry to hear about your accident, Bob. Yeah, it's a little uncomfortable, but the worst of it is whenever I hobble down the street, people co keep throwing money in my hat. <laughs> they do? <laughs> Gosh, how embarrassing. That's terrible. That must be awful. Bob, how much do you average a block? <laughs> Oh, it varies, but take my advice, Jack. Stay away from Beverly Hills. Nothing but Dewey buttons. <laughs> but I can't get over how nice it is of you to drop in on me, Jack. Well, Bob, that's the way it is with us troopers. You know, we show people have to stick together in these times of trouble. Why, as soon as I heard of your accident, I rushed right over here to be the first one at your side. Jack, you came over just to help me? Well, yes, yes. Of course, if you buy the insurance policy I have in mind... It helps me a little, too. <laughs> Jack, why are you selling insurance? Well, you see, it's a little early to start unloading my line of Christmas cards. <laughs> well, Jack, I don't get this. You're a wealthy man. You're worth millions of dollars. Whoops. <laughs> selling insurance, huh? Well, have you got a sample policy you can show me there in your portfolio? Jack, did you hear that? No, no, I didn't hear anything. You sure you didn't hear that echo? No, kid, this is your show. <laughs> well, look, Jack, let's face it, this is ridiculous. You don't have to sell insurance. You're a star. They write about you in the Saturday Evening Post. You're one of the outstanding comedians in show business. One of them. <laughs> you don't mind me throwing that no, in there, do you? No, no, no. no, this is still your show. <laughs> oh, but you're really great, Jack. People stay at home on Sundays just to listen to your radio show. I have so much more than Fred Allen. Why should I fight? <laughs> Say, wait a minute. That's my gag. I'll trade you for the yodel. <laughs> What'll my sponsor say? Well, I swan. Me too. Yes, sir. Bye, Cracky. That's right. Wait a minute. Gee whiz. My goodness. Of course. And how? Wait a minute. I'll say. Hurry, I'll say. You bet. Oh, Wait a minute. Yes, sir. Bye, Cracky. Wait a minute. <laughs> Easy, Jack. Either we pedal the stuff this way or I have to put on a pair of water wings and sell it bathtub to bathtub. <laughs> My next line is a humdinger. <laughs> Baths up to bathtub, huh? I have trouble with my sponsor, too. That's a dandy line. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> I rehearsed four weeks for that line. Well, we were going to give you something you could get your teeth into, but we weren't sure you'd have them with you tonight. <laughs> You wouldn't dare say that if you were still with Pepsodent, brother. Who's <laughs> power? 
Let's get back to this stuff, huh? We'll never get through with this tonight. Look at it. You know, Bob, you know who has the sweetest... You know who has the sweetest... Page 15. You know who has the sweetest... I'm not... You know who has the sweet... Never get off. Wait a minute. You know who has... I want to play the violin yet. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are we still on? You know okay. who has the sweetest racket radio, don't you? The disc jockeys. Disc jockeys. You mean one of those guys who says, this next record is sponsored by the Happy Hunting Ground Funeral Home, and now the orchestra plays, he's a real gone guy? <laughs> we haven't got time to wait See, for See, why that. don't we try... <laughs> please, your laughs, not mine. Please. <laughs> Say, why don't we try our hand at being disc jockey, Jack? All we have to do is make the rounds of the music shops and pick up a couple of hundred records. Well, I don't know. For free. Shoot the wax to me, Max. <laughs> We'd be great as a team of disc jockeys. As you say in radio, I can just hear it now. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to station SLOV, the biggest on the coast. <laughs> and, now, and now we present Jazzy Jack Benny and Bebop Bob in their original radio record show, Make Believe Washroom. Hi, again. Hi, Jazz. This is your old disc jockey, Bebop Bob, with another knocked-out record section. It's all on wax, and it's real mad. So you kids who want to get your kicks, lace up your boots, and latch on to some of this frantic jive that we're going to stand swinging your way. Right now, cats, I'd like to turn the mic over to a real hep character, the man who knows all the answers in the world of jazz, that solid jet, my platter partner, Jazzy Jack Benny. Ahem. <clears throat> Hotcha, bodio dough. <laughs> Before we spin our next platter for you kids, we'd like to tell you the next minute and a half of our show is sponsored by Dr. Capstaff's weight-reducing plan. We'd like a word with those of you ladies who weigh over 400 pounds. <laughs> Do you have the feeling that you're being followed? <laughs> you are. It's you. <laughs> and you met over 400 pounds. Do you have large stomachs? When you get your shoes shined, you have to take the boot black's word for it. <laughs> Why not try Dr. Capstaff's weight-reducing pill? Yes, to take off those extra pounds, try Dr. Capstaff's method. No diet, no pills, no injections, no exercise. Once a week, Dr. Capstaff comes to your house and beats you with a rubber hose. <laughs> and now we're going to play our first record. It's a little tune called I'm Dancing with Tears in My Eyes because the girl in my arms had onions for dinner. <laughs> going to be played by Woody Gribbonis, and as you should live so long, if you can find the melody orchestra. Hit it, Woody. <laughs> Ah, uh, thanks, Woody. That was great. <laughs> Look, Bob, a bunch of new releases just arrived. Gee, there's some interesting titles. Look at this one. You used to be the cream in my coffee, but now you're just grounds for divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Get a load of this one. If you were the only girl in the world and I was the only boy, I wonder who I'd play handball with at the Y. <laughs> Here's my favorite. Hair of gold, eyes of blue, lips like cherry wine. I never should have stomped on them with my bare feet. Say, suppose we play that one right now. Okay, but first, a word from our sponsor. Yes, this next record is coming to you through the courtesy of Slushies, the only breakfast cereal that's shot out of a water pistol. Folks, you'll just love Slushies. They don't snap, crackle, and pop like other breakfast cereals. They just lie there anew. <laughs> Mothers, you'll cheer when you see the way your kids dive into a bowl of Slushies. They never come up again. <laughs> Listen to what one happy user of Slushies has to say. I've been eating Slushies for nigh on to 30 years. And I want to tell you something, I'm getting mighty tired. <laughs> Thank you, Effie Spoon of Battle Creek, Michigan. 
Hey, Jack, what's next on the turntable? Oh, the folks will just love this one. Yes, sir, it's a new release that features a duet by that brilliant young Waukegan violinist, Benny Kabelski, and that new Cleveland singing discovery, the Velvet Smog. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we give it a word? Yeah. Oh, east is east, and west is west, and the wrong one I have chose. Let's go where you keep on wearing those frills and flowers and buttons and bows, rings and things and buttons and bows. Don't bury me in this prairie, take me where the seamen grows. Let's go down to some big town where they love a gal by the cut of her clothes, and you'll stand out in buttons and bows. Uh, no practicing on our time, please. I love you in Buckingham, skirt that you home son. But I love you longer, stronger, where your friends don't go to John. Now's the buckboard bounce and the cactus hurts my tears. Now let's bamboos where gals keep using those silks and satins and linen that shows. And you're all mine in buttons and bows. Thank you, Jack. Thank you very much. You've been fine. That's fine, Jack. Thank you. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, Jack, wait a minute, Jack. We have next week. It's all over, kids. Pack up. Okay. We have another. Next week, we have Morton Downey, ladies and gentlemen. That Coco. Say, okay, Jack, wait a minute. It's all over, Jack. Jack, wait a minute. Wait a minute. the memory of the vote in 48, our chance to demonstrate whom we endorse to chart the course of our U.S. ship estate. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to pay a tribute to that fighting man from Missouri who stepped into the ring last Tuesday with the odds against him and came out the winner and still champion of the USA, President Harry S. Truman. Mirror, mirror on the wall is my hair fairest of them all. It is when you use Rave Cream Shampoo. Rave leaves your hair so clean, so soft, so easy to manage. Easy to manage because the pure lanolin in Rave is specially blended with other important ingredients to make hair behave, even on shampoo day. Try Rave Cream Shampoo. R-A-Y-V-E. Rave Cream Shampoo. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Well, y'all, I'd like to invite you to set a spell longer, but we've got to go ourselves, but it's been fun, and I look forward to seeing you next week. And, Victor, you got anything to say? Uh, have fun, everybody. And don't forget to subscribe or check us out or leave us comments, all the you, stuff we mentioned at the beginning. And if you have any requests, by all means, leave them in the comment section or email them to whoseblindlifeisitanyway at gmail.com if you have a request for a particular show. Or... At the beginning, I gave all of our addresses, or 
you did or something. So you did. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody did anyway. Well, you did. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> anyway. I think I'm going to go get off here and read a graphic audio for a while. Bye-bye, everybody. Oh, I thought you turned it off. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Remember, you're the host. <laughs> uh, no, <let's>, yeah. <laughs> but, I thought I indicated I was done, but I guess I didn't. No, you didn't. Well, bye, y'all. I'm done now. <laughs>